Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And we're back with another packed episode, as you would expect. We say it so many times, Steve. We love this time of year. The club football season might be over, but there's just so much to talk about. And with it being a World Cup year as well, and the first ever Winter World Cup, just so many things to talk about that trying to cram everything into a two-hour show, as listeners will have known from our longer shows, have been a little bit difficult. So I don't know how long this one's going to be. It feels like this could be a long one. We'd be talking about drafts and and this and that, and, 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 and that's about it, like minor transactions or rumors or stuff like that that's essentially what we're talking about now but now you got massive games going on oh. uh, through group stages and and this world cup has been a, a world cup of unexpected results let's say oh yes I, if anybody's bracket is still intact i want them to pick the lottery numbers for me yeah because it's like there is absolutely no way that you would be able to have predicted this just now so yeah, we're we're gonna chat about World Cup in, in these first two parts as Canada has departed. We're also going to be talking about the exciting news that broke on Monday night about the new domestic women's league that is gonna kick off in Canada in twenty twenty five. And I sit down for an exclusive one on one chat with Whitecaps General Manager of Women's Soccer. Stephanie LeBay, the national team legend, as we talk about the new league, her role with the Whitecaps, and also have a little chat about her career as well. So we're going to get into all of that in this show, but I want to, to just to, to kick things off by, by looking at some of the, the news that has come out. MLS news, because the season might be over, but the news still keeps coming, and some news just breaking. We're recording this on Tuesday, December 6th, and some news that just broke this afternoon. Don't even know if you've had a chance to see this yet, no, Steve, but I did White see Caps, uh, they're yeah. linked with a 23-year-old Uruguayan centre-back, Matthias Laborda. He's a right-footed centre-back, which I was thinking we'd be looking for a left-footed one. He also can play right-back. He's currently with Nacional, in Uruguay. He's won three league titles with them, six foot four. He's 
been capped for Uruguay at under-23 level. So I, I, apparently the talks are advanced, but there's still a lot of work done to get it over the line. But the Whitecaps, it's been confirmed that they do have interest in him. I mean, we, we knew that they were wanting to, to add a centre-back. I had just tweeted a couple of days ago that hopefully our connection with Uruguayan players was over. And a couple of days later, the Whitecaps are linked to another Uruguayan player. Yeah, but uh, you, I think you mentioned that he can play right back. But I think if they they do bring him in, I think he's might be the right center back. And if they are t- continually uh, going to be playing that back three, so I think that's where the position would be. Um, it allows uh, I think Tristan to go over to the left side possibly, um, and then and then you have uh, Ranko in the middle. That could be your starting three in the back. And I don't and, and considering he would be a free. I think mm. I don't think he would. I think at the most he might be a tam player, but he might not even be a tam player. Mm. It, it, it depends on what their what his value is, salary wise, that he would look at. I'd actually in that back three have Ranko on the bench and move Tristan to the middle and still bring in a left foot centre back. Okay. So I think that's what I would I, prefer for for that. Yeah, but I think Renko would start. I think Renko's been here for a while. I I don't see him as being that bad. I don't know if you don't. I guess you don't rate him as much, but I still think he's starting capability, especially if you get a proper center back beside him instead of like middling around with uh, center. I think him, Tristan, and Renko could be a good young starting back three. I I, I like Renko in in spurts. Um, I don't think he's totally for me MLS starting quality I think we can get better but I'd, I like him as your first port of call for rotation or injuries yeah. or, or stuff like that as well but if he gets if he's getting benched I, I would probably think he would want to move on then yeah. I don't think he would want to stay then I mean there's every chance of that as well there's also there is a Scottish connection with Matthias Laborda okay he's from Frey Bentos is that in Scotland no it's in Uruguay. Okay. Um, Frey Bentis, though, is a, a unique... I, I guess back in the day, it was a, it was a tin, tinned meat product. So it was like okay. tinned corned beef and then tinned pies. So it was a pie in a tin that you would just put in the oven. Okay. And up until the 1960s, it was the brand was called Free Bentos because they were manufactured in Free Bentos in Uruguay and shipped from Uruguay over to the UK, but then they were bought over by Scottish company Baxters, and Free Bentos is now made in Ficabers in Scotland, and you can still get the pies. You can look for them in Savon, and they are an an interesting, interesting little delicacy. Scottish food. What can you say? I've got to find Scottish connections somehow. Yeah, you have if, to. If, if we're not going to sign Johnny Russell... Johnny, yeah, I figured Johnny Russell would be um, the then, guy too. And of course, Lewis Morgan as well from New York Red Bulls that have been pushing Axel and nagging Axel to burst the bank to bring him here. So yeah, there, there's a Scottish connection. One thing I would say though about Laborda, I was looking at his stats, 101 appearances down in Uruguay for Nacional, six goals, 22 bookings and two red cards. So are we going to have another card machine? That's always my worry right. with Uruguayan maybe defenders. You need, maybe you need that, but two reds and 101 appearances, that's not that bad. I know, it? 22 bookings. Sir. 
He's right. made five appearances for Uruguay's under-23s, and he got three bookings in those five appearances. Yeah, but 101 appearances, you divide that by three, that's a season. And so you look at it, that's about seven bookings a year hmm. for a centre-back. That's pretty reasonable, I think. Also, obviously, with Uruguay, he was playing in Comdebol, where it's like, I imagine the cards just come flying left, right and centre. I'm sure we'll have some more Uruguay talk coming up in the, the next part as well. Well, as long as he doesn't have the same, uh, like... Uh, um, uh, like oh, Lucas Lucas Cavallini obviously came from Uruguay too in his training. Mm-hmm. So as long as he doesn't see the red mist like him, I think you should be okay. Yeah. So while the White Caps are looking to have these additions for another Canadian MLS team in Montreal, it's just one way traffic just now. The departures and the Out. hits just keep on coming. Alistair Johnson's move to Celtic is confirmed. Ishmael Coney has been linked with a. Move over to Europe. He's attracting a, a lot of attention. Kamal Miller. Is the one. Watford. Is it Watford? Yep. Yeah. But, but, and then like signing for Watford, but then getting a loan to, um, I think it was Udinese, but it was some, a, oh, one really? Serie A team as well. So, I mean, great oh. stuff. And Kamal Miller possibly on his way out as well. But now they have just lost their head coach as well, Wilfried Nonsi. The rumours came out yesterday that he was going to be announced as the new Columbus Crew head coach. That was confirmed on Tuesday morning. And I I think it's not really a, a huge surprise that he's left Montreal. Maybe landing in Columbus, though, Steve, is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, but the biggest surprise is like the... What came out? Like I actually yes. missed this. I don't know. I if did you as well. I, I, no, yeah. I missed it until you sent it to me last night, and I was like, "Oh, yeah." Early November, there was like a confrontation between Nancy and Joey Saputo in a game against a Sporty Kansas City in July. So it was reported in early November that this had happened in July, and uh, Saputo tried to get into the locker room after a loss or something like that. Nancy wouldn't have it. They got into a like a, a, a war of words or whatever, and then Nancy was apparently ready to resign right there. Uh, but they, 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 you know, cooler heads prevailed. They, they finished out the season, but apparently there was a promise that they wouldn't, uh, uh, they wouldn't renew his like trigger his uh, option, and he wouldn't be like he basically keep quiet about it. Now, added to this, which I don't think you know because I just saw this on Twitter. Um, uh, uh, Montreal's president and CEO, uh, CEO Gabriel. Jervis. Oh yes, I was going to tell you this because I've got the yeah. I've got the press release up here. Well, he said uh, a quote here. He says, "Despite the club's efforts to have uh, Winifred continue our project, we were forced to accept the decision to leave the organization. We want people who want to be with us, and Winifred has chosen a different path." I don't know if you have more in the official press release. Yeah, well, that quote was in it because the press yeah. release starts by saying, "See if." Montreal announced Tuesday the end of the club's association with its head coach, Wilfred Nancy, who was contractually bound for the 2023 season. It's not it's not the friendliest of yeah. press releases. Well, I'm assuming they, they said it like that because they they're going to try to get compensation from Columbus. Yeah, I mean, they've wished I him all the best it. later on in it and they thanked yeah. him for his two years at the club. But I mean, yeah, when I read that, just saying we were forced to accept his decision to leave. But like yeah. when you put, we want people who want to be with us and Wilfred has chosen a different path. I mean, wow. Yeah, well, the thing is, if this story is coming out, who's going to want to be? Because there was a, before Nancy was on there, there was like 
um, there was a couple of people who uh, like resigned like really quickly. Mm. Like we had Terry well, Henry, and there was one other coach too, right? He's also taken all his assistants with him and trainers and stuff yeah. as well. So they're having a whole new backroom team. And oh, it should uh, be, yeah. Th- there's been some names already thrown out there. Bobby Smyrniotis, Forge FC head coach. He'd been in the mix to take over before Nancy got it. And obviously, Wilfred Nancy was the one that got the nod. Now, he would be a, an Anglophone. So yeah. that would be a, a change for them to appoint that. I can't help but wonder whether we could see a return of Mark DeSantis. Oh, maybe. I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. Like, it's all depending on how, because the story's already out about the altercation yeah. um, or, or a confrontation. It's going to be whether these coaches uh, want to deal with Saputo, and that depends on, obviously, a coach like Ceremotis would, would want to because it's a big step up for him. Even if it doesn't succeed, at least he can say that he got into the MLS. So in, in, the, in this situation, some people will take it, but you are going to lessen the quality. You mentioned the players left in the offseason. There were a number of players that left even before the offseason. Um, there, Mihailovic, I think. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, and so, I mean, yeah, he saw, DP, this, he saw this season out, but now he's gone. So, yeah. But the D, And their DP, I can't remember his name. It's, 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 oh, uh, he yeah, decided Johnson. not to re-sign either. No, not Johnson. It was oh, a no. different one. I can't remember his name. It was their only designated player. But he he was basically he already announced that he wasn't going to come back. Oh, what? Why in Yama? Yeah, and a lot of this stuff happened in the summer, if I'm not mistaken. Like especially his announcement. So that probably played a big part that what happened. Like people have said that Saputo does this regularly. Apparently, like I don't know the Montreal culture as well that well, but I guess it does happen, and and it's a, a matter of people understanding whether you know what they're getting into when they do accept the job. Yeah, I mean, it it was such an attractive proposition to go there. Yeah. But now that you're losing so many players, you've got a complete rebuild on your hands. So does that make it as an attractive proposition? Is that the kind of job that would appeal to a Bobby Smyrniotis or a Mark DeSantis? And you have to feel, yeah, it would. Because they'd probably give him more time. They, some coaches like that because they can they can bring in their own players. Yeah. Maybe that some of these players they didn't want. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll see. I I shot a message to our good friend Eve last night from the Ballers Round podcast saying we're going to have to get you back in the show again. Yeah. So I mean, when we talked to her a couple of weeks ago, we thought, oh, that's pretty much it covered, and that's all the drama done. But no, a lot more drama. So we'll we'll get Eve back on to chat about that. But let's move away from the domestic scene. Let's turn our attention to the World Cup, and in this part we're going to just talk a little bit about Canada, because Canada officially three and done, back from the World Cup. Zach's not back yet, he is flying home on Wednesday, Wednesday the 7th, so we're hoping he'll be on our next show, and we might just have a a whole show just unpacking his trip and stuff that he's learned. And And, uh, and it's it's, it's good, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit here, but we better... It's better to save a little bit to go into more in depth when he gets back, so yes. we can discuss it with him. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, he is a, a now a viral TikTok and YouTube star. Is he? I didn't know that. Oh, you you didn't see? He was featured oh, at the end of the Germany game. Oh, um, I missed it. Get, getting into a little bit with some opposition supporters. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't see that at all. I missed that. 
because uh, I was I was telling him do something weird in the stands, like make some weird facial expressions, you'll get put on on the World Cup. So well, yeah, he's carrying a German flag and wearing his Voyagers top. To me, that's quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot more to that story. Zach will explain exactly yeah. what happened when he is on the show. So yeah, we well, might have to have a show just for his shoutouts. So I, that, I, that, oh yeah. yes, I mean that's that's a whole part in itself. Thirty minutes of yeah. all the folk that he's met. Yeah. But yeah, Canada three and done. We're not going to delve too much into it because we, we've spoken a, a lot about it. But what what was your thoughts on that last game against Morocco? Again, just a momentary, a couple of lapses, especially in that first like half an hour. Maybe some like the the way the formation was set up and stuff like that. Um, I, I feel really feel like the, like some of the marks were missed in the formation, but overall, like really, it's just the two big mistakes one obviously in the back pass and Borian not able to clear properly and 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 then Vittoria who's been you know stalwart during the qualification showing that he's not fleet of foot to keep up with some of these uh world world cup uh attackers and I think that, that that's the biggest things that we took from that last game I thought after that they kind of settled down and they actually had a pretty decent game I thought the second half went really well I I saw a lot of folk well, maybe not a lot. I, I saw folk um, come out and say after that game, like Borian, Vittoria, and I think Miller was lumped in there as well, that they're they're not the quality international talent. And it's like, it's, no. it's harsh. Especially when, when you look now at the fact that the two teams that got through Canada's group are in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And if you look at it, Borian, the fact that mistake he made, um, uh, if if the problem is, is a lot of people who are probably follow it now or, or recently don't realize how even more erratic he was back in the day. Um, the, like the, some of the things he would do uh, playing out a goal. He's actually been pretty stable in net. And it was just that one little lack of clearance that he had. Um, I think that was the biggest part. But I'm sorry, he's saved uh, games for us in, in, in for Canada in qualification. Uh, just look through the Mexico game. I think uh, th- that was a b- uh, big stop. He, he basically uh, kept Canada having three points. So I, I'm. It's for me. Like, if you're at the World Cup and you're starting, you're you're worthy of being there. I, I think he's good enough there. And Victoria, I would say that against certain competition, certain uh, uh, attacks, he would be fine. It was just against this Moroccan team. It was just it's just a team that just flies all over the place. Um, might have been the wrong choice to put in there. He, he probably did not look as good as he would have against other opposition. The different type of strikers and attackers. I mean, I, I was I was disappointed by by the performance just in general. I, I mean, I've got to say that it was a better second half. The first half, Canada yeah. were just completely outclassed in it. I I was happy. What one of the things I really wanted to see, David Witherspoon got his his World Cup moment. moment. So I was very happy about that. I still would have liked a, a couple of others to maybe get a run out. But I think there was just so much focus like, that they wanted to get that first point. Yeah. My 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 biggest thing was like, why was Kone on the bench at the beginning of that game? Like, why didn't he start? Like, I all the respect to Mark Anthony K. Uh, but for me, Kone right now is a better player. Um, like Mark, he was really good a couple of years ago, but he's kind of slipped his, his, his play and moving on from mm. like LAFC to Colorado, then to TFC. So for me, Kony has been the 
one in more informed. So I'm, I'm very surprised at that. That was the biggest surprise. And the fact that you you still I, I feel like you still needed that third player in the midfield. And I think that helped hurt him. They hurt him against Croatia, and I think it hurt him here as well. I, I think a lot of criticism as well has been thrown towards John Herdman and not we don't need to talk about his whole F Croatia thing again, but yeah. just his tactics and his team selections and I mean, we had a little bit of a, a chat about this just when we were chatting on the phone. The, the way that we've seen other teams play this World Cup is maybe how Canada should have approached some of these games. It felt a little bit more gung-ho, just... I mean, you want to play attacking football, and it, it's but nice to watch smart. an attacking team, but yeah, you've got to be smart as well and think of the opposition. This is not CONCACAF opposition that you're playing. You can't just go hell for leather. You've got to have some kind of defensive solidity. I just don't think that the formations or the, the tactics were, were right for these games. No, and, and, and the teams that I would, like, the two teams that I would really point to, and we could talk, we'll talk about them a little bit in the groups when, in part two, but a, a team like Korea and a team like Japan, uh, the way they were able to upset major teams, because they played smart. They, they, um, they they held in. They played somewhat. Yes, yes, they let up goals in both of those games. Uh, in their game, in their wins, they they gave. I think they might have given up the first goal in every time in each of their wins. But they kept their their position, and then when the time to attack came, they went for it. And uh, you know, if, if they missed their chances, then there may be a different story. But they made it, and they were clinical. And that's another thing that needs to change. They need to be more clinical. Canada needs to be oh, working yep. on that. All the players. I think as well, though, I, I don't know that Canada's got the players that can play that way. And I think that's part of the problem. I think Herdman looks that, at his that, best team and he's like, yeah. I don't know that we can play that style because our best players are attacking. So that might mean you have to look at playing Fonzie in a defensive role. Yeah, or, or, you, or you develop the, uh, the style. Maybe you don't, maybe you, attack, you make a different type of formation in order to make the the players work with that style. I just feel like that they, like you, like we said against uh, Belgium. Yes, you went all out and you surprised Belgium, but you don't play that same way against Croatia because they've seen that tape. And obviously, like we said, they were a little bit more motivated uh, due to a, a certain letter in the alphabet. Uh, but uh, but you basically uh, the, the tactics should have changed. And I mentioned that before the Croatia game that I don't want them to go gung ho, uh, attack, back up retreat attack retreat like kind of like uh, don't go at them full because if you're there and you go full at a team like croatia or a team like morocco we've seen that they can finish them off with one punch and that's what it was yeah see i was the opposite i wanted them to to attack croatia and i got an email i think it was i want to say it was rob townsend he's a regular listener that sent an email saying as well no keep the same attack and they did but then they kept going and they didn't yeah. they, they went for that second instead of having the tactical nuance to be like, look, you know what? We need to kind of just ease off a little bit here and soak up some of this pressure. But Be it, it, it falls because down they, in because the midfield. They didn't, because they didn't even force Croatia to open up. 
No. Because Croatia didn't need to open up because they just, uh, whenever Canada made a mistake, they were able to attack him right away. So it, it, like, if they had played like falling back and everything, they would have made for Croatia have to open up and they could have attacked Croatia's mistakes. I don't know how many of the mistakes they would have made, but they definitely made a mistake in that first second minute when Alfonso scored that goal. So that's my basic. And again, we'll talk about more of it in the future. I don't want to take up the whole podcast talking no. about Canada again. Yeah. Um. Herdman's future has been a a big debate. We we talked about it in the the last show. We both thought he wouldn't be the man that was leading them into twenty twenty six, but for reasons that he he might want to go and and have a a, a look at club level. I mean, we talked about the pit, pitfalls of that and stuff like that as well. So he was asked immediately after it if he expected to be leading them in twenty twenty six. He's got his contract to twenty twenty six. And he he plans to, to lead them there. I do wonder, though, if his stock as a head coach has been knocked a little bit with this. I don't think so. You don't? I don't think so. No, I don't think so because he took Canada to the World Cup and that's not an easy feat. So I well, think that, that alone, yeah. he'd have to got, he would have had to got blown out in every single game in order for them to, in order for his stock to go down. And, he, and people talked about the Belgium game and I know people still see Croatia and Morocco, but a lot of people on the world stage probably see that Belgium game, and that's what they'll remember about Canada. Maybe not us uh, as Canadians, but definitely like the people that know those things because that's what they'll, they'll look at Canada, the way they dominated CONCACAF and finished the top and that, and where they came out of nowhere. I think people will. Say, and I think Herdman said the right things. You don't say, like, I'm going to leave <laughs> even at the World Cup. You can ask the questions, I guess, but he's definitely going to give that answer. Uh, he's got a contract till 2026, but if he's got any kind of a smart agent, they are out clauses in that contract, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think for his development as a coach, he probably does need a different challenge now. Yeah. The general reaction from people that maybe haven't followed this team tons it's, it's been interesting to see because I mean we we when we did our preview show none of us had Canada getting out of the group and we said look don't sleep on Morocco they're they're yeah. a good team I don't think any of us expect them to be quite this good that's good yeah also I think after that first game against Belgium a lot of people got swept along by that performance but in hindsight Belgium haven't been that good so maybe that uh, wasn't that uh, that's the team that I, I mentioned too that in the previews that I don't like mm. they're actually the team that like if they could have surprised them I think that was uh, looking back on it that was their best chance for a point or a victory Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work out. But Belgium has been disappointing for a number of years, and they were just uh, like if they didn't do anything when they were at their prime. Uh, like De Bruyne said, they're old now, so I don't think they were going to do anything in this tournament. But th- there's been a lot of interesting discussion about whether America, Mexico, and Canada are being tested enough in Concacaf, and we we spoke last week a little bit about that. We talked about the Copa America invite that seems to be looming. But there's been a lot of folk pushing that they think CONCACAF and Comneball should merge. And I've thought about it, and it would be great for testing, but I don't know how often no, Canada would I, make it out of that. I personally wouldn't. I, I don't see that. I don't think agree to that. I do agree with the Copa America, if they could make it uh, like a... Like a 
Western Hemisphere tournament, like a full tournament. I think that helps. It helps uh, uh Bowl and it helps uh, Concacaf, and and then we only have to see Gold Cup every every couple of years, like every four years instead of every couple of years. I think that's the thing that I think uh, uh, the Copa America the, doing a tournament with them. I think that would be the best bet. Merging, I'm not a big fan of that. I think that's too big of an area covered by one qualification. Maybe it might be different because you got 48 teams now, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it. Yeah, I it would depend I, I how many. Well, also, I mean, it would be vetoed by the Caribbean nations because they would say yeah. no. But the, the way to yeah. get round that is let the Caribbean nations have a place. Or even a half point. Oh, you place, make, like, like maybe make them Oceana kind of thing. Yeah, so like they yeah. they could maybe play someone in Oceana to to get into, it, and that would give them a better chance because they've got no chance in hell of getting. Yeah, through. I, I I would have to. I don't think it should be done immediately. I think maybe if you want to do it, maybe ten years down the road, uh, once uh, the big three teams start showing that they're you know developing even more on the same level as them then then it may be but not right now definitely not immediately i think a copa america is a good first test to see if that something like that could possible i saw someone else make this suggestion as well and i quite like this so the confederation cup was scrapped before the qatar world cup and a lot of folk have questioned whether it was solely because of the fact that the stadiums weren't going to be ready in time that they, they couldn't have it but bringing it back for 2025 even an unofficial one hosted in America and Canada would be fantastic if you had the Euro champs, if you had the South American yeah. champs. I mean, that would be a great test for the three hosts that aren't going to be having competitive games. It would test the infrastructure. I, yeah. I, I think that would be a win-win. And for a lot of these, it would give the foothold into the North American market as well for a lot of these countries. Hundred percent. I think it needs to be the, the if they can bring the Confederation Cup back, I, I would agree with that. It's, it, it'll be a good test for them, good practice because you know, like we said, those three teams are not going to have uh, qualification. They're just going to be playing friendlies, and they might not be able to get the big friendlies. So, one more thing I just want to talk about in this part in relation to to Canada and the reaction to their exit, and I mean we've been pretty calm so far, but. I'm I'm feeling it rise up in me, and I'm becoming an angry bastard. Oh yes, this week I am an angry bastard, and I I I don't like it. I don't like what I'm going to be talking about, and I, I think most of you will know what I'm going to be talking about. CBC's Chris Jones and his absolutely diabolical hatchet job on Alfonso Davies. Now, Told you, for sure. Oh, if, if anyone hasn't anymore. seen it, uh, and I'm sure there will be some folk that, that haven't, basically... Don't read it. Just listen yeah, to us. Well, yeah, hey, don't read it, because <laughs> it'll just really get the ire just going up in you. But basically, he's criticising Alfonso Davies at questioning... Is his celebrity bad for the Canadian harmony and locker room? And in a bizarre thing where he's going on about, oh, the earring that he wore is probably more than somebody like James Pantemis's salary. Yeah. And it's like, what, what has that got to do with anything? It's like... Uh, and 
It was interesting because th- this is what a lot of the black players in England have called out the press over there for over the years. That if a young black player makes it successfully in the game and they have the trappings that come with that, they have the higher salary, they might buy a, a sports car. And it's like, that's in the paper. Oh, look at this player with his flashy sports car. Whereas they don't do that for the white players. Yeah, I think it's like, I, I remember hearing about Raheem Sterling a lot. I think that was yes. uh, one of the players that was very prominent in those kind of stories. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's just such an absolutely horrible, horrible article from a guy that I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of folk have said to me, oh, Chris Jones is a, he's a great sports writer. I had never heard of this guy till a couple of years ago. Actually, it was probably probably last year, just before the, the Octo qualifying started. And there was a Canada Soccer Press conference, and he was on it. So I had my hand up to ask a question, as I have done for the last year, not getting picked, which is another thing I could be angry and go on a big rant about. But he got picked ahead, and I was like, who's this guy? And then I Googled him and saw, oh, he works for CBC. Oh, that makes sense. That's why he's getting to ask a question and not me. But I'd never heard of him before that, never seen him on any of the other calls, and I've been going on Canada calls since 2012, and never seen him, along with a lot of these other reporters that are over there. And in Chris Jones's case, he's over there on the taxpayer's dime as well. And... I'm not saying he's not a soccer fan, because he is. He says he's a soccer fan, and he's he's doing all that. Is he going to be covering this team in the next couple of years? Is he just going to disappear again and then come back with a lot of these other guys for 2026? Now, a, a big thing in Chris Jones's thing was that Alfonso Davies basically didn't come and talk to him after the game, and that's what really pissed him off. <laughs> And that's the crutch of it. That's and he's, he's trying to find things that he can label because he's angry about that. That he's trying to find other things to basically uh, railroad him in order to uh, fit his narrative that he didn't talk to him. He can't say that. Oh, he's, he he didn't talk to me, and that's why I'm upset. He can't say that because everybody would rail on him. So he's looking for any kind of morsel to to railroad him in that case. Now we know from Fonzie being here that he doesn't do a lot of media, and yep. like we. Well, he was protected back then because he yeah. was 15, 16, 17. And like genuinely, and this isn't just blowing our trumpet, we probably had the most chats with Fonzie than anyone in his time with the White Caps because we spoke to him and he was with WFC too. Um, Robbo liked how we dealt with him and gave us a lot of exclusive chats with Fonzie. And I understand why he wasn't put up after games because you're protecting him. He doesn't do mixed zones at Bayern Munich. This was a mixed zone. He did what was expected of him, which was the official broadcasters and all of those commitments, all those media commitments. He did that. And just because he doesn't want to speak in the mixed zone, you write an article attacking him. And then you double down on it a couple of days later when it's like, oh, such a player spoke, but guess who didn't speak again? It was Alfonso Davies. He just came across as such an immature asshole in this whole article. Chris Jones I'm talking it's, about, not Fonzie. Entitled. Entitled. Yeah, entitled. He, he feels entitled. Um, and that's what a lot of uh, reporters are like in, in Canada. They expect full access to every single player. And they're not, because maybe that happens in other sports like hockey and football and everything like that. But in soccer, we know if in you're in Europe, good luck trying to talk to a major star. And the whole thing about is 
you know, Alfonso Davies celebrity uh, problem. Why don't you ask the other other his teammates if it is, if you wanted to write that story? Yeah. Is it? You never went to any of the players or stuff like that. If and if you want to compare it, how is Portugal successful with a celebrity like Ronaldo? And I know you don't like him, but he is a huge, massive star. But and but they've won stuff with him. I think they won one of the Euros. I can't remember what year, but they won the Euros with him, and they, and they have been successful in World Cups with him. Not obviously winning it, but they have run made runs in it. And if he was an issue, how is Alfonso? Alfonso Davies is a guy that supports his teammates. Goes back to. Like Edmonton, uh, to, there, there was a thing on, on TSN about him going back to the program that helped him go, get going in it and how successful it is. Um, he's um, When he wasn't able to play, he would go on Zoom and watch the game and, 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 and celebrate with his teammates. Yeah. This is a like player that. that's accepted every call-up. He's yeah. gone to play in the shitholes of CONCACAF. Yeah. And... it's. It's 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 a somebody that really didn't like the way he was being treated as a reporter, uh, expecting to get every like full access, and uh, he tried to find the best way to attack the player in order to do that. But a couple of other issues, did, and he went and, and he went after the best player because he, he wanted to maybe he even want to make a name for himself. There's other players like Jonathan David that wouldn't speak to anybody in the mix zones, and and he, why did he write about Jonathan David? Because Alfonso Davies is the face of Canada soccer. He's on the commercials and everything like that. And that's why he was being attacked. But you've also got to question the CSA's role in this as well. Because if media are asking for Davies and he's he's just walking by them, why is somebody from Canada soccer not calming the situation down and explaining to the media or even putting a, an arm around Fonzie and go, look, do you mind just giving them a couple of minutes? Yeah. And he might want to do that. But of course, the players in the CSA have been in dispute for compensation yeah. as well. So sure. it's like you can't be expecting the players all of a sudden to be media friendly. And something that really pissed me off with this is it, it was a hatchet job. It was totally unacceptable. So what happens the next day? He gets an exclusive with Errol Cochran from the CSA. So he gets yeah. rewarded for writing that article by yeah. getting an exclusive interview. Or maybe he was being like, uh, like you could say he rewarded, or maybe they were just trying to appease him or something like that, or something. I don't know, but it it it, it uh, it's just weird that the the people that that get sent to cover these te- the, these teams that have never followed them in the three years leading up, and all of a sudden during qualification they might get a little bit, and then all of a sudden at the World Cup they get a full paid for trip to uh, a you know foreign country. Because another bit, I don't know if it was in his first or his second article, and I know I'm, I'm giving him more air time than I really wanted, and I'm yeah. getting angry again. But there's so much in this, because he went on about, after the Croatia loss, again, he didn't speak to 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 media, and I've got the quote I think here. it was after the Morocco game. He didn't break his stride in the mixed zone, shaking his head at clamouring reporters while wolfing down a sandwich. Why put that in it? The fact he's yeah. eating a sandwich after playing 90 minutes. Yeah, that's what people do. Players do that. Oh, but I want to direct folk, look at Mike Martinego's thread about it on Twitter because he's absolutely fantastic in it. And yeah, there's a lot and more I could even, say, but... And you can even watch uh, Sid Sixero if you search him up and, and search his rant as well because he did it on video. Like on his, like he does breakfast TV and in Toronto, 
or something like CDTV. I can't remember what it is, but look him up if you want to see the uh, a good, very good reply and understanding of what it actually is the real issue. Also, my final thing on this, anyone that's had to deal with the CSA to do with media in the last couple of years will know how difficult yeah. they are to deal with at the best of times, which makes things more frustrating. But anyway, that has got my hackles up. And that is why I'm an angry bastard this week. He wants to kick Chris Charles round the balls. He wants to kick Kevin Keegan round his hall. He wants to scream and shout and catch his face. He wants to train Cafe, get the human race. Oh, so that, that is it. Chatting about Canada. Their World Cup dreams and hopes are over for another four years. We'll still be, be covering Canada and all these players in the next four years at all levels. Let's see if some of these other reporters are as well. But it's not it for the World Cup chat. We're going to be back with that in part two. And also, I'm excited to say that we're kicking off something special. And I mentioned that a couple of shows ago. I don't think it was one of the shows that Steve was on, actually. So we don't have an Artist of the Month for December. What we are doing is we're paying homage to one of my icons, DJ John Peel. Every Christmas, he had his Festive 50, where listeners to the show would vote for their top 50 songs of the year in the early days it was just top 50 songs all together and then it was like year specific as it went on down the, the road so i'm not going to have a, a festive 50 but i am going to have a festive 15. so what i'm going to be doing in the shows in december possibly even going into january is i'm going to be playing you my top 15 tracks from 2022 they might be singles they might be album tracks what they've got in common is they're all released in 2022 and I love them. So normally at the start of each part, we just play about a minute of, of the songs that we have and then get into it. But because it's it's the festive 15, I'm going to be playing the songs in full to kick off each part. And we've got the very first one coming up to kick off part two this week. What is it going to be? Find out after this. Hi, I'm Jay Herman, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it was our first song in AFTN's 2022 Festive 15, Half Man, Half Biscuit. Perennial favourites from the show. They were perennial favourites of John Peel as well in his Festive 50. So I had to get a Half Man, Half Biscuit song in my festive 15 they had an album out this year the volter all years and that was my favorite song from the album midnight mass murder might have played it on this show before it's a song basically talking about a, a reverend or a priest and he's regaling his congregation at midnight mass to like football supporters and they're they're chanting things at him and he's chanting things back like where are you every week and a lot of uh, fun. I misread it. I thought it said the Voldemort years. Oh, no. I read misread it. No, or no. The, the Bob Bradley years. You know, yes, that's, that's yeah. the sad TFC thing. But yep, that is kicking off our festive 15. We'll have another two songs for the 15 in the show this week. But for this part, we're turning our attention to the rest of the World Cup. And for the rest of the show, we're joined by our good friend, Harjit Jahal. Hello, good evening, Steve and Michael. How are you doing? Very Not good. All the better for seeing you. And we've got you on because we're going to be talking about the the women's league that's coming up as well. But we thought... I can't wait. We, we've got to get you on chatting World Cup as well because you've been up early, glued to your, your TV. Um, just what's your general thoughts on it? Because we got some of Steve and mine last week. How have you enjoyed it so far? Have you been getting up early or are you watching it on no, delay like me? Oh, yeah. I, I've been I've been spoiling the games. I like, watched the end of the games because I'm Canadian, obviously. I was pissed off today because I hadn't got to the penalty shootout. Yeah, spoiler yeah, alert! See, I, of I Spain Morocco, and then Diane Matheson was talking about oh I had Spain in the penalty shootout, and I was like, well that goes to penalties then, and clearly Spain lost. So yeah, that, that annoyed me. That. I'm so, I'm sorry, Michael. If you're going to go on a, a conference call about football, you're going to expect some something to happen. I did not expect that. Thought you'd be used to it because I usually ruin the scores of all the games for you. Yeah, she's good at ruining the 49ers games for me. They're okay. doing well though. But anyway, we're not here to talk about any of that. We're here to talk about the World Cup. So we last show we spoke about the the group games. Now we're not going to go into this in as much detail as we have in the the previous shows. I just want to talk about some of the main talking points. And the groups wrapped up, so we're not going to go into all the group games, but nothing really too much to talk about from Group A, except who was surprised that Senegal beat Ecuador? I I thought Ecuador would get through that. No, I thought Senegal was... I I had Senegal uh, pointed. uh, uh, Just slight favourites. Let me check that bracket. Oh yes, hard hard did the official white cap staff bracket that she found yeah, lying I, I, about when she was up at the offices and filled it in and sent it in. I I I feel the Senegal was a slight favorite over Ecuador. I don't think it was a surprise. I thought either team could have won, but yeah, Senegal I had picked. Mm. Yeah, you were probably not... surprised about Qatar like finishing with zero <laughs> zeros across the board. I, no, I, I had that. I had Qatar dead last. I got that right. I had Qatar, no, Qatar going through in the group. <laughs> They were they were in the semi-finals of the Gold Cup, but I guess we could then... Uh, yeah, that, that tells you a lot about the Cup. Is. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that is the case. Uh, group B, Wales turned out to be absolute B, garbage. B for bastards, I guess. England, yes. USA, Iran. 
Uh, Wales is un- un- unluckily in that group with it. I was, I was um, disappointed with how Iran played in that game against the US. I expected more from them. I yeah, just made the that, US all the, the cockier because they were the only CONCACAF team then that went through. And I, I, uh, England, after that bad, like, disappointing game against the US, where they should have beat them, uh, I personally think, uh, like going yeah. into it, um, they they did they, they defeat Wales and they easily won the group in that one. Yeah, but that's good. That that gets their confidence levels up, and then that sets yeah. them up for a big fall. It's coming home, right? Yeah, it better not be. Uh, group C, though, Mexico. Argentina bounce back. Yes, yeah, Argentina bounce to win back the group. Yeah, uh, they they looked good against Poland, and they they've been looking good so far. Mexico at least got a win over Saudi Arabia, who obviously flattered to deceive in that first game. But Mexico's yeah. going to be absolutely gutted that they, they missed out. And they missed out by a goal in the end. It would have been nicer, I think, if they'd missed out on fair play. Yes. That that would <laughs> that just was... have been... Mwah, who, chef's kiss who, who's if they missed out on that. Who, who's that? Who's the former white cap that said he was going to talk to his grandkids about getting a red card or something like that? Oh, Efrain... Uh, Efrain Juarez. Juarez. Yeah, yeah. That's harsh, good chum. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, but I thought I thought that Group C was very poor overall. It was just a really rank group. I I was surprised. I was disappointed in Saudi Arabia actually beating after beating Argentina. They weren't able to pull anything off in the next two games. Yeah, they should have gone through. But then we we've got into the, I mean, the way that these other groups played out and the excitement of yeah. having the two games on at the same time. The groups of four, and I'll come to that in a sec. But I mean, it, it's some of the best. World Cup final group day games that I can remember. I mean, Australia beating Denmark was a shock to me because I watched the Aussies in qualifying and they weren't very good. But they've yeah, just got I, that team belief that gets them through. Had they not I had I, Did you? Yeah, I, I thought Denmark was probably the, one of the most disappointing teams considering where they yeah. were coming from. A lot of, and especially the group that they were in, because I thought they were easy winners over Australia and Tunisia. So that was disappointing. And I know France rested a lot of guys, but Tunisia getting that, that I win, that, you though. saw what it meant. Yeah, I mean, you saw what it meant to them as well. And they, they, yeah, were, sure. they were good value for it. Yeah. But then we come to Group E. And Germany's worst performance in the desert since El Alamein. <laughs> I enjoyed Kendall Lawson in the last game until they lost. Yes. Um, Germany crashing out was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, let's it was ta- great. Let's talk about that Japan ball. And do you think it was over the line? Well, if you look at it, it looks over the line. Like For, from, from one, one angle, angle, it does. But then from but, above, it doesn't. Like for me, like when there's green, but yeah, that's the problem. The 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 ball is round. So it's if you look at the, like the one part of it, it, it might have been on the line. I think it, whatever, personally, I don't think it was enough to turn over. So whatever the original call was, I think that was fine to stand at that point. Um, but it was, it was crazy to me that Japan won the group and the team that they they did it by beating Spain and Germany. And they lost to Costa Rica, yeah. which is unbelievable. That that, that that's, that's how topsy-turvy this, this group was. I do have to wonder, though. Like, I mean, I, I watched the Japan game and, and Spain were trying. It wasn't that they weren't trying. But they knew that if they finished second in the group, it was a much, in theory, as it hasn't yeah. proved to be the case, easier path we'll for them. But, yeah. uh, I mean, Japan, their fans have been absolutely outstanding in, in this tournament. 
and the fact that we've seen all this stuff, they clean up the stadiums afterwards. The players cleaned out their dressing rooms. It looked like you'd had a five-star cleaning service come in. They had left it spotless. But, I mean, they were a breath of fresh air. The passion that they bring. I would love us to actually have Japan in some of the games in Vancouver in 2026 because with a big yeah. Japanese population here and to have those fans here, we saw it here at the Women's World Cup. It was a great atmosphere and the the Japanese were very welcoming to, to media and everything as well. And I, I've, I've loved what I've seen from them. I've loved what I've seen from the Moroccan and Tunisian fans. Zach may disagree with some of those. That's another story that we'll talk about. Um... But I, I think the, the Japanese fans have been tremendous. Yeah, they're a fantastic fan base. You mentioned the men's team. The women's team's always fantastic, too. So uh, any matchup with Canada against the men's team or the women's team is great. They clean up the stadium. They're polite. The media is awesome. Just a, a greatly run organization for, for soccer in Japan. So, yeah, if Canada's in their group, that'd be uh, fantastic to see. Uh, and then the thing is, I mentioned to you before that's in the game against Spain that they're the head of their federation, um, oh, yeah. honorary head of federation, said that uh, play well and please don't. The, the people of Japan are frustrated, so don't disappoint them. They were under a lot of like you think that they were under no pressure, they were under a lot of pressure to win that game to, to get through. I, I mean, I said before when we signed Kudo, may he rest in peace, that I wasn't sure that MLS was a, a league suited for. Japanese players because of the physicality but I've seen some Japanese players go to play for Celtic this year and they've been amazing and that's another physical league so that could be an untapped market that maybe the Whitecaps want to to look at some of those players would certainly welcome here Group F we talked about in the first part how how you weren't able to join us for that first part so I want to ask you a couple of questions what did you think of Canada's performance it was not good enough. All these upsets in Canada, they were not good enough. Talking about how well they played against Belgium, they got zero points. But did you expect, I mean, was the expectations not too high? I thought they'd at least get a draw in one of the games. I know, you thought that they would get a draw against Morocco, but I kept saying to you, Morocco's a good team. But when you see the other upsets in this tournament, I mean, Canada, it was right there for the taking and they didn't take it. You can't go and tell... A country in the Balkans, F Croatia. That's going to come back to bite you in the. I, I, I agree with you. I, I know. 100% agree I, with I, you. I disagree, but anyway. Um, but Croatia doesn't uh, but, need uh, any motivation. They still would have won Canada's ass, I, but you don't need I don't to get them extra motivation. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, and the thing is, you got to look at Croatia's history. They fought for their country. They it's have a lot of pride. In the, and, 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 and it's like it's like poking a bear. It's like telling you, like, who tells an Eastern Bloc country to F their country? You don't, don't do that. That's don't horrible. That's yeah, I guess so. So, Har, do it's you a, think... It's a learnings experience for Canada. Hopefully yes. they'll be a lot better. They'll have a penalty taker decided before the game yes. starts. They oh. won't keep Atiba on forever because he's given so much to the program. They'll have a better goalkeeper. Just a lot of different small mistakes at this tournament. Well, you cannot make small mistakes. That's that, what costs That's Canada. the thing. It's different level from CONCACAF. Yeah. And I, I think CONCACAF shown the, the strength of CONCACAF as you well. You've got to be playing a lot but of bigger clubs I, in Europe yeah. and abroad to get but, more honestly, But honestly, you look at it right now, like the, the you know, where Morocco and Croatia are, and we'll talk about where they are now. 
it's it they they this group F was probably the strongest group. Like yeah. if you think of it, like the competition they had, Belgium didn't play well, but they almost beat Belgium. They should have beat Belgium, like for the 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 chances they had and everything, and the penalty that was missed. Like that they should that that's the game that they should have yeah. got some again. So yeah. here, here's my burning question for you, Har. Mm-hmm. It's a two-parter. Do you think John Herdman will be in charge come 2026? And do you think he should be in charge come 2026? I think it's up to John. I think... Oh, this is not like you to sit on the fence. Uh, let me finish the answer first, please. <laughs> I think it's up to John. It's whether he wants to get out before it goes bust. Because we saw him leave the women's program for a bigger stepping stone of the men's program. And what then the be, women won what gold. Would, what would yeah, exactly. be a bigger step up? Would it be going to the Premier League, the, the championship? Is If that opportunity uh, presents itself to John, yeah, I think he would definitely entertain that and leave. But again, does he want to stay around to be the first manager to manage a, a home Women's World Cup and a home Men's mm. World Cup? How important is that for him? You know, his son is with the Whitecaps program. He li- they live out in South White Rock. Do they want to stay here? Do they want to go abroad somewhere else? So it's all it's all up to John. And then another uh, two part, if I may, is do they feel that John's the right coach to take this team to the next level? Because he's taken them to the World Cup. He's gotten them at the World Cup. But he's is he the guy to elevate the team? to where they can have success at the World Cup because he, we know he's a great motivational guy. He's a great tactical guy. But does he have that next step? So uh, I think he'll stick around for a little bit, and then it, we'll see if he leaves in a couple of years. So that's my answer, whether you like it or not. Do yeah. you think he has what it takes, though, to, to do it at club level? Because it's a whole different ball game, no pun intended. Well, what club are we talking about? One that has their act together or one that doesn't? Yeah, that's true. Uh, we'll have that debate another day. Let's let's just move on to the, the rest of these groups quickly because this has gone on longer than I thought it was going to. So group, group G and Group H, those last day dramas continued. Cameroon yeah. beating Brazil was fantastic and Abubakar getting a red card. And, Hold the Hasley. Yeah. And he was happy to get the red card. He was smiling. Ishmael Elfath was smiling. That was a rare thing. And then Switzerland beat Serbia. So my complex manager, Dino, who was raving about how good Serbia were going to do, let me down. I I think he feels his country was let down by the team, though, as well, to be fair. (laughs) I haven't had the chance to speak to him yet. And, and they, like I said, they finished dead last in their group. I thought they had the potential to get through, but Switzerland, obviously, the better uh, team. Um, they play a better team concept. Of course, we'll talk about that later, how that team concept went. Uh, I mean, in, yeah. in the, the crazy thing, though, Serbia were the highest scorers in their group. They scored yeah. five goals and they finished bottom in a point. Brazil but- only scored three goals and they finished first and six. But look at the opposite, where how many goals they gave up, and that yes. was the biggest issue. They they were giving up goals left, right, and center to a lot of teams. Yeah, that's very. I enjoyed true. the dust up between Serbia and Switzerland. Those teams yes. did not with each other. Well, no, they yeah. they are well, being the, the, Kos- the Kosovans that's on the yeah. Because we spoke to Shakiri Har, and yeah, we, Shakiri. we talked about the fact there was a Kosovan flag at BC Place. Yes, and... yes, yes. 
So it's like that all carries on from that. Then the final group, Group H, was some of the most amazing drama. And, a lot of tears. A lot oh, of tears shed. I mean, Ghana. You've Gets got to revenge. give them credit. They, they weren't going through, but they got their revenge by pissing about and stopping Uruguay getting that third goal. They battled as if they needed to avoid conceding to go through, but they just wanted to stop Uruguay going through as well. So a modicum of revenge... But what about South Korea 2, Portugal 1? That goal by Huang Hee Chan in the 91st minute. Wow. Yeah. It, 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 like Again, Korea, similar to Japan, we talked about it before. They played it where they, they stayed strong, even though they were a goal down, and they just attacked when they needed to attack. And they were clinical at those points. Um, what was the game before? Uh, their second game or something like that. There was another game where they came back and uh, won. One. I can't remember. Korea. Yeah, Korea. They, there was well, they, another all... game that. Oh, they came back and drew or something yeah. like that. Well, no, they, they, yeah. they drew 0 0 with Uruguay and then they lost 3 2 to Ghana. Oh, no, the, the, they, they were down 2 0 to Ghana. They tied it up and they gave up a late goal. That's yeah. right. That's the one. And that's where they lost their coach, yeah. essentially. For the Brazil picked so, them apart. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So, final thing I want to talk about in terms of groups, and there's been a lot of discussion about this. So, the next World Cup, the plan right now. 48 teams, as we know, which is still ridiculous. And it gets more ridiculous by the second. Um, But they're having groups of three. So you're going to miss out on all this drama. Should they make the the change and go to groups of four? If they do, it makes it more complicated, though. That's the only thing. The the thing I like about the the groups of three is that only the group winner goes through. And that makes it easier that you don't have the you know, the best third-place team, which always irritates me a little bit because the you're, you're, you're the best third-place team, but you didn't play against the other third-place teams. So how is that possible? Like, if, for me, I like the group of three. Yes, you're going to have lack of drama in this, uh, but you'll have a definitive winner. Like, you're basically, you have your 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 second pot team and your third-place, uh, your, your top two pot teams play the third team, and then you have the top two teams in the group play off each other. But the danger is that a team, it was the, the last, game. but also the last game might mean absolutely nothing. It could. There's a potential for that. You're right. But with forty, no, in our luck, those those will be the games that BC plays. Despite <laughs> the thing is, as a shock to you guys, but I love the drama. So I think four teams, and you have the last group stage game. You've got games going on simultaneously. See who goes through, and then you talk about the fair play and the yellow cards. Look how exciting that was! Goal differential comes into play as well. So I think you want to capture that. It, Steve mentioned the best third place team, so that's even more drama. So I, I, I'm I, for I, the four. I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the third place team, but I do like the the, the games back to back. I do. The, the, do you like the drama? Me, yeah, I do. I do. I don't How mind the drama, but I also I know, but I don't like the third place team. Best third place team. I'm not no. a big fan of that either. No, that's. I, a it, little, I'm really. I'm it would really be complicated. Yeah, I, I want groups of four, but yeah. I, I understand if there's groups of four, you, you've got a problem then as to actually to how you do it, the next round. It, it, no, it'll actually be not even the best third place teams. It'll be the four best second place teams. Yeah, because it's only the there'll be twelve group winners. And then there'll be four uh, second place teams yeah. that can get through out of the eight, 12. So it, it, so that, it works for me. 
Yeah, unless they have some other games or something. I don't know. It's it's just yeah, it's a mess. It's they should just have kept it 32. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Right, round of 16. I, we won't go into tons of details about this. Netherlands 3, United States 1, well done Holland, and yeah. see you US with your arrogant media and fan base. So cocky about being the only CONCACAF team through, you just lasted one extra game. Was it really worth it? Well, I think they would say it is yeah, worth I it. Yeah, I know. But but the, um, the, 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 for me, in this game, I just watched the post-game coverage, and uh, first time I watched Fox Sports, and man, it is horrible. Yeah, the Guardian uh, uh, wrote an article about it that I tweeted Oh, did they? Out. Yeah, I tweeted it out oh, last night, that. where they basically said... It's fun watching Clint Dempsey try and put vowels and consonants together to try and form some words. I, I honestly was the first time I heard him speak at length. Like you hear a little bit muttering here and there. First time, I, I, I personally think he makes Wayne Rooney look smart. And that's a big thing. Oof. I don't know if I I've think heard him speak. would be good with words. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. I have heard him rap. We have played his rap song on the show. Um, Argentina, Australia. Argentina were fairly comfortable. I mean, Australia, you knew they were going to be defensively minded, yep. but I mean, they got that goal and they made it interesting. And well done, the Aussies. They got further than anyone thought and they've got a lot to be proud of. But let's my talk only, my about... Only, my, can, I, can I say my only yeah. disappointment is that they go to penalties and we didn't get the wiggle goalie. Oh, I know. I'd have brought them on especially for that. But did you yeah. see the scenes in Australia? They were getting up at like 4 a.m. Yeah. to watch yeah. those games and they had flares and there was thousands of It was folk. crazy. And people are talking about, oh, Canada's become a, a, a soccer country. No, no. Until we've got that, we are not a soccer country. When you no, look at what Australia's they, doing, that's a soccer country. But Australia, no, but Australia, Australia mentioned that they're like the fifth like most watched team sport or something like that. There's four sport. I don't know of my Australian rules. They've got rugby, Aussie rules. They've got rugby. Cricket, they've got cricket. And then there's one other one that I don't remember. But they they said they're number four. Is it netball? Is it netball? Like oh, it netball. might be. It might be because I watched a lot of Aussie shows and they feature the mm-hmm. netball a lot. I love the netball. So, so, so I think they know themselves that they're not like the fifth. Best. They're like almost similar to Canada, where they might be the third or fourth, fifth best option for sport team sports. So. That's a good place to check mm. out, like kind well, of model yourself after. Ha, you're going down under next year. Yeah, I'm going to see the World Cup, so it's going to be fantastic. I'll get to see the the, the World Cup tournament, so I'm super jazzed about that. Yeah, and I'm super jealous because I I want to go there. I'm but... I'm actually thinking about going down too because I have really? family or free free place to stay in New Zealand. So you should definitely I don't know how do many ga- I don't know how many games are in New Zealand. Uh, if, whoever where it's based in there, but. The, American, the Americans will have all their games in New Zealand, but Canada's Oh, all really? Well, then maybe I'll Canada. go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who have you got then in the quarterfinals, Holland or Argentina? Well, if you recall the last time I was on your show, my World Cup prediction was? I can't Argentina. remember. <laughs> Argentina. Well, I've got Argentina yeah. in the semis against Brazil, so obviously yeah, I'm going with Argentina I, I, as well. I would say Kevin unless... Hackett. Netherlands has to play a way stronger defensive game against Argentina than they did against the U.S. I felt like they gave up too many chances to the U.S. If they can play stronger defensively and as a team, they can catch Argentina on on a counterattack. Yeah. I think it'll like be that. close, but I've I've got Argentina. There's the bracket. 
They, yeah, we're this is an audio podcast, not a video. So I'm showing you guys. Oh, I got okay, Argentina okay, gotcha. over Croatia in the final. Says Steve, forgetting the fact we had a whole year of opening stickers up. <laughs> oh, I should open stickers. You wanted me to do that last time. Yeah, I don't today because we're <laughs> we're running out of time. I got them right here. Oh, well, we can order. a big deal about it. Too. I know. Right, the next the next round of sixteen game. I've got a wife that needs to eat. Uh, Japan, Croatia. 1-1. Croatia went on penalties 3-1. Absolutely yeah. horrible penalties from Japan. I know. It I, I, like for all the praise you guys gave them in, in the group stage in the last segment or whatever this yeah. previous talk, that those penalties just like that was bad. That was, was like that those were those were the word that made Alfonso's penalty look like a like superstar. Oh, Harris, Let's see who we get. Harry's opening stickers. I was rooting on Japan, A for the underdog, but also because of the Croatia stuff as well that was just and they've been reported for those things i was talking about with borian okay who has har got as a sticker mitrovic oh oh serbia that, that's oh no that's not serbian is he serbian yeah, it's not yeah. Serbian. Oh, yeah. yeah he's their main yeah. striker yeah i want to get a community he lasted longer in har's packet than he did at the world cup south korea oh oh she's got a kim taehwan kim one of, one of the that's... four kims on the back line Commentator's like nightmare. Mr. Kim's great. Ooh, Morada. Oh, Spain. Somebody else. Someone else that's still not in the World Cup. This isn't a good pack. Another player not in the World Cup who should probably still be in the World Cup. Oh, Doku, Jeremy Doku. Belgium. Yeah, this and is a disappointing finally, pack. Another player that's not a Belgium in the World accent. Cup. Another player. Poland. Wow. Swiderski. I haven't heard, I never heard of that guy. That was a crap pack. Yes, it was. Th- thank so, you for uh, the show. So, so the, the penalties. <laughs> yeah. So Brazil and Korea, that was disappointing, just the fact that Korea really had no fight in them. Oh, Brazil were just looking different class. Obviously doing it for Pele. Wish him all yeah. the very best. Oh, I'm sure he's a keen listener to the show. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they looked on absolutely different level. Still find it hard to root for them because of Neymar. Just like I find it hard to root for Portugal because of Ronaldo. But we'll come at him in a sec. So it's Croatia, Belgium in the quarterfinals. It's hard to see past Brazil. Yeah, Croatia is going to have to find another gear like the way they did in the last World Cup in order to beat Brazil. Because they upset quite a few teams to get to the yeah. final there. So they're going to have to do something magical in order to get past that. Maybe they'll park the bus. I think they'll park the bus as well, but I think they can't afford to because Brazil's just going to devastate them. The bottom half of the bracket, sadly, England 3, Senegal 0. Let's just quickly move on from that one. France 3, Poland 1. Again, France looked good, but I was disappointed in Poland. I thought they'd put up more of a fight as well. No fight, Mbappe was fantastic in that game. Yeah. Going back to England Senegal, I expected no. <laughs> like once once the England first goal came in, that that was going to be hard for Senegal to come back because then I thought England would sit back, but they actually scored two more goals, which is surprising. Yeah. My so, face but paint I think, was running with my tears. Uh, that was and, very and I, oh, so. Who do you think, England or France? France uh, all the way. Yeah, Viva la France. I would say France too, but I'm concerned about this England team will get through. I'm very concerned. 
I'm, I'm going to dig out a baguette, I'm going to have some French onion soup, and I'm going to wear a little berry on my head on the 10th, and I will be all in with French. Are England or France? According to the bracket, I have England, so I'll go with English. Yeah, we'll, we'll cut her out of this podcast, I think. Um, then the, the last little bit, the games today. Morocco nil, Spain nil. A fairly entertaining nil-nil. A solid defensive performance from Morocco. And then a stunning penalty performance from Morocco. Again, at least Japan got one goal in. The, the yeah, Spain Spain's penalties were shocking. But full credit. Actually, well, I would Two say saves full, you full credit to the Croatian keeper who also made the saves. But full credit to the Moroccan keeper. The Canadian-born Born. Moroccan keeper as well. Um, it's funny how uh, uh, remember the 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 part that got them to the hex or whatever they call it. I can't the octo. What was it? The hex or the, the octagon? Octo. I can't remember now. Uh, octo uh, was uh, uh, gaff by the, oh, uh, the Moroccan ha- keeper, the, uh, a Canadian Haitian, born Haitian, Haitian yeah keeper, keeper. and that, and we we still have a, a Canadian born keeper in the World Cup. It's, it's kind of full circle. Um, I, I mean, to be fair, his parents are both Moroccan, and I believe he moved when he was two back. to Morocco. Yeah, and yeah, Morocco back. To, so anyone yeah, saying, yeah. oh, why did he pick Morocco? That's why he's he's Morocco. Yeah, yeah. But it was nice yeah, to see um, a good goalkeeper called Bono. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. He certainly um, gave him the edge. Spain had a, a Spain had a shot though at that end. Like, just oh, the, 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 the post, yeah, off the post, an inch or something the other way. It would have yeah. bounced off the post and gone in the net, so or even bounced off and going back to one of the players. It was from I, I such a tight angle as well. I did not realize their manager had just taken over in August. I did not realize that. Like, and, and he and, and the only goal they've allowed since he took over was it the one game against Canada. Like that's the only time, and even in the yeah, they had the been qualifying in the and stuff. Yeah, they they went yeah. through their group undefeated, the African qualifying as well. So yeah, but they haven't allowed a goal since he took over. Like except for the one against Canada, that was an own goal. Now, I'll let Zach tell the full story, but apparently at the end of the Canada-Morocco game, the Moroccan fans, and during the game as well, had tried to get into the Canada family section that was leading to some altercations. Um, He'll tell the full story of that. I've seen a lot of folk... This just absolutely blows my mind that folk are complaining about this, but on the Voyager's Facebook page, they're complaining about the whistling of of the Moroccan fans and saying it's putting them off watching the game. It's like it's an atmosphere. It's giving them the edge. Well, it's making it hostile. Yeah, I, I like, I, look, I, the whistling doesn't bother me, but I will say that back in the day, the South African World Cup, the uh, Vuvuzela, That's they different. Yeah. 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 yeah, but for some people, the whistling might be the problem. But for some people, the the whistling might be the similar thing. So it's a different, like some people, the chalkboard, fingers on chalkboard annoy them, and some people don't. So it's all personal opinion. My point. Yeah, and obviously mine, mine just correct. And then Portugal, uh, Ronaldo-less Portugal for most of the game, 6-1 over Switzerland. Switzerland were, I, I don't know if they were terrible, if they were just outclassed, but what about Ramos getting yeah. his first start for the national team ahead of Ronaldo and he scores He'd a only played. He'd only played 33 minutes in his previous three like uh, sub sub in games or off the bench games. He so he scored a goal. So this is basically now with four caps, he's got four goals, and the three came in the World Cup. So 
unbelievable start for him. Um, I feel like Ronaldo got probably got more airtime on the bench yes. than he might have gotten on the pitch. So yeah. that was the, interesting. One of the well. goals they scored, or a couple of the goals they scored, it just panned straight to Ronaldo. It's like I'd rather see the guys that scored celebrating. But that's Thanks. that's that's horrible on the, the, the people doing the broadcast. That's unprofessional for them to put him like he's not asking for people to put his face no. on the thing when he's on the bench. It's, no, it's really no, bad. That, that's form. true. I tweeted out I could really get behind this Portugal team if Ronaldo wasn't in it. They're so exciting. They're flair even players. Pepe are, on the team? Oh, yeah, I, I don't mind Pepe. <laughs> Some people don't like him. Um, but it's just Ronaldo I can't stand, just like Neymar as well. Like Messi, I don't mind. He's top guy. Uh, but Mbappe? I don't mind Mbappe. The whole French... Morocco can beat them? Can Morocco get another upset? I don't know. I think they're going to have to put another defensive game in, and I don't yeah. know that they can do it two times running. It's hard, I mean, they... to, it's, it's hard to keep it going, but they have kept it going since, like I said, August or something. Not I mean, anything ago. now for Morocco is just the cherry on the top Bonus. of the cake. It would be nice, though, to see an African team in the semifinal. I don't think oh, it's it would. happened yet. It absolutely would. Um, I yeah. thought... It, it, could happen this year. I didn't necessarily think it would be Morocco, but yeah, I mean the this the quarterfinals go on Friday and Saturday, so they should be exciting. I I my tip had been a Brazil France final, so that's still looking very likely. Yeah. I would say, and my fellow Scottish friends as well, we've been talking in all our WhatsApp groups. We're very worried that England might do this, at least get to the final, because. They just have the swagger about them, and I, I don't know. If France don't do it, I'll be very disappointed. The thing is about England that scares me about them getting through is that they, like, usually they don't have, like, a you know, a depth in attacking, and they seem to have that this year. They have, like, a lot of players that can attack in different ways, mm. and that scares me. Like, uh, But I think France is still a pretty strong team, even with all their injuries. Yeah. But... That is pretty much it for a World Cup chat. How many stickers you still got left to go, Har? A lot. Ah. See, I haven't bought my full set yet. I'm now waiting till after the World Cup where they'll be a lot cheaper on eBay. So I'm thinking I can probably get a complete set for about 120 bucks. There we go. But that is it for our World Cup chat. We're going to be turning our attention back to the domestic game next and the announcement of the new women's football league that is going to be starting in 2025 and we'll be back with that and number 14 in AFTN's festive 15 after this hey i am axel schuster and i'm listening to the AFTN soccer show Oh, 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's number 14 in our festive 15 for 2022 from Down Under. It's the chats that was struck by lightning. And that was from their second official album, released in August, Get Fucked. The Chats' former Artist of the Month here at AFTN went to see them back in May. That was when I caught COVID. Pretty sure it was at that concert, but it was a great concert. And funnily enough, one of the other bands that was supporting the Chats also make it into our Festive 15, and they will be coming up in a future show. We're going to turn our attention back to the domestic game now and the exciting news that was out this week that a professional Canadian women's league is finally taking fruition. Canada is going to get a league to call its own on the women's side, set to kick off in 2025. We're going to chat a little bit about that with Harjit Jahal in the next part. But I got a chance this week to sit down with Vancouver Whitecaps general manager of women's soccer, Canadian national team legend Steph LeBay, just to chat about her role at the club, her career as well, and a look ahead to this new league with the Whitecaps being announced as one of the two founding teams that is going to be in this league that's kicking off in a couple of years' time. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice, Sit back and enjoy my chat with Stephanie LeBay. So thank you, Steph, for, for joining us on the show. I wanted to catch up with you for a while, so thank you for finally sitting down. And I know it's been a very busy day for you. Yeah, it has, but it's a very exciting time. Uh, I'm excited to be here and thanks for having me. So we're doing this two months to the, the day that you were appointed the general manager of, of women's soccer at the Whitecaps. And how would you sum up those two months? Has it been a little bit of a, a whirlwind for you? Wow, two months already. Hey, you're keeping track. Oof. <laughs> it's It's been amazing, honestly. Um, first couple of weeks, uh, I you know had a lot of meetings just trying to meet everybody in the club, um, get in contact with them, figure out, you know, who can help me in what area, how I can help them. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just been kind of like nose to the ground and get to work. Um, this has been an exciting project that's been kind of in the works for a while. Uh, I've been, you know, talking and working with Diana behind the scenes for for a while now. Um, I knew when she retired last summer that this was something that she was really passionate about and really wanted to to start working on. Um, so I was, you know, at the time helping her in any way possible that I could as a friend, as a colleague, as a support. Um, and then this spring when, you know, I was edging closer to retirement, um, I started to kind of invest a little more, see how, how I could help a little bit more. Uh, and then this summer when the opportunity came along with the Whitecaps, um, it was just a perfect blend of, of, you know, the understanding that I had of the league from working with Diana already to be able to bring that to the Whitecaps and and navigate, you know, that whole challenge of, of getting them to be one of the founding teams. Um, you know, it's a process. It's it's not something that a decision that people make overnight. Um, it's a big investment. It's a big, um, you know, decision to make. And um, it's been, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations behind the scenes to make this happen. And I'm just really excited. We're at the place that we are. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a very exciting couple of days. We'll certainly get into everything about the, the new league as well. When you were appointed, I think a few folk were a little bit puzzled as to the, the title because obviously there wasn't a women's team. But those of us involved with the game knew that there'd been a lot of work going on behind the scenes and something was coming. So everything now obviously makes sense now. But when players hang the boots up, you've basically, you, you could go into media, you could go into to punditry, you could go into coaching or you could take the kind of business behind the scenes role. What was it about that aspect of it that interested you more than, say, going into a coaching role? Yeah, I always knew that staying in the game was something I wanted to do. Um, I had played the game for so many years and I've learned so many things over my career. I've had so many different experiences, um, a lot of positive, but also a lot of negative. And so I really wanted to continue to push the game forward in Canada, but also learn from the challenges that I've been through and, and try to change the game here so that, you know, the future players don't have to go through those same challenges. Um, you know, I see the problems that are happening in terms of safe sport down South. Um, they're also happening here in Canada. Um, so I think for me to be able to like learn from everything that we've seen and I've experienced and we've heard, um, learn from that and be able to implement that, be in a position where I can help move a club forward. Um, that was something that I always wanted to, to continue to stay involved in and, I knew that coaching wasn't necessarily something that got me out of bed every day. It's not something that's going to motivate me, drive me. Um, I love the game. I love working with people, um, building relationships and building connections. Like that's something that I really value. Um, so I would enjoy that part of coaching. But um, I think it was the the joy of being able to really affect the game on a larger scale um, while also having that connection with players and with people. Um, so it was kind of the balance of those that I think drew me to this position. It wasn't, you know, when I retired, I didn't think, oh, I want to be a general manager. Like that wasn't on my mind at all. Um, but from when I first started having the conversations with Axel at the club and every time we talked, um, I think more and more I started to like really understand that this is a role that I, I felt that I could um, see myself fitting into and and explore and um, you know everything all of the ambitions that the club has moving forward and wanting to to kind of rebuild this women's program and and reinvest and um, continue to push it forward and put the right things in place um, it was all something that you know I believed in and wanted to get behind I mean, your own playing career uh, like like so many of the the talented girls here, you, you went into the NCAA system and you came out of that and then you went over to Europe and there wasn't the opportunities in Canada, even really in North America, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. So, I mean, you've, you've played over in Europe, you've played over here. If, if you were a young girl coming through just now and you're, you're thinking, well, th there's more growth opportunities maybe over in Europe and they look at the crowds that, that they get in, in Europe and things are taken off in places like England and France and Spain. Why do you feel that this new league will be tempting to, to some of these women that's coming out of the college system? I think the biggest thing is, you know, those leagues are taking off and it's incredible. And who it's benefiting is the local players. It's benefiting the players that are from those countries playing in their home countries. It's incredible to see as a soccer fan. I love seeing it. And I love seeing, you know, our Canadians that are there being able to see success there. But it's also happening in North America. They're beating attendance records almost in almost every game that they play in. You know, almost every game in the playoffs this year, 
um, was beating its previous attendance records. We can do the same in Canada. We have the population. We have the support. We have one of the biggest populations of soccer players in the world. Um, to be able to give our players the opportunity to play in front of 60,000 Canadians instead of 60,000, you know, fans from another country. I mean, what better of, of an opportunity and a moment for our players to be able to have that. Um, there's so many positive things that can come out of it. Um, you know, our players want to go and play in England because England has some of the best players in the world. Our players want to play in the U.S. because the U.S. is some of the best players in the world. The same goes for France, for Germany. Well, you know what? Canadians are some of the best players in the world. So we get our Canadians playing here. That's going to attract other players because they're going to say, hey, I want to play with Canadians because they're some of the best players in the world. So it's it's about providing that platform for number one, to get our Canadians home, to give them that opportunity that once in a lifetime opportunity of being able to play professionally in your home country in front of friends and family and in that in and itself will attract international players as well i mean when i when i look back at your career and when you were thinking about where you wanted to play i i remember you joining calgary foothills back in the day because i was commentating on the tss games and i know that you were trying to make the the squad that season and the frustrations of everything that you weren't able to play in that, but was a, a small part of that as well to kind of highlight, look, there's just not these opportunities here in Canada. So why would you not let me play on a man's side if I'm good enough to play on the man's side? Yeah, you know, a lot of things came to that decision. A big one was um, the lack of player um, security and player ownership of your own rights in the NWSL. Um, you know, at the time I had a really um, verbally abusive coach that I wasn't willing to go back to um, play for. And he at the same time wasn't willing to trade me. So my hands were tied and there was nothing I could do. You know, I can't just even though my contract's over, I wasn't allowed to just go and sign for another team. My only option was to go back overseas. And I had already played six years in 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 Europe and did I really want to go back overseas at the time? Not really. Um, I wanted to stay in North America and I wanted to stay closer to home. I had some things going on that I didn't really want to be, you know, across the ocean from my family. And um, for me, then I started to look at, you know, options in, in Canada. And of course, there's no female options there. So I had to look on the men's side and I was inspired by athletes of um, different sports, other women that have done this before that have gone and played in men's leagues. And I thought, well, if they can do it in that sport, why can't I do it in soccer? Yeah, I, I know it was a very interesting time and I, I was surprised in the end that, that they didn't sort of even explore it a little bit further. But I, I mean, I guess hopefully this, this league will mean that people don't have to, to go down that road in the future. I mean, you, you touched on it there about the, the abusive coach. I, I spoke to Emma Humphreys about this when I, I chatted with her last year last year I think it was times kind of just all melded into one now if a parent was to come to you with concerns about their daughter not at the white cats but just in general going into the professional soccer world it, it's not been a great year for for women's soccer especially down in the US and going into last year as well what would be your message to parents that have that concern yeah, I think for me personally, it's to know that they have a voice and they are valued and their story matters. Um, so if there's anything going on, I would encourage them to report it. Um, I would do, you know, my due diligence in terms of making sure that 
you know, the proper protocols were put in place that um, we will, you know, take every action and every word very, very seriously. Um, and I think for me moving forward, like I want to continue to support and build this club into something that everybody can be proud of. And any kid that comes through the system is going to be safe and is going to feel heard and is going to have an incredibly, you know, positive uh, growth experience where they can come in. There's no fear. They're excited to be there. They feel supported. They feel trusted. They feel respected. Um, and they feel included. I think in women's sports, the big thing is we have to make it inclusive and make it open to everybody. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, put the proper things in place. And something I'm really proud of with the Whitecaps is the changes that they've made. They've acknowledged um, you know, what's happened in the past and that we want to move forward from that. We want to, to make changes and they have made some incredible changes. They've, you know, hired a, a full-time director of safe sport education. And um, I think for me, that shows number one, their commitment, but it also shows having her there full-time is, is a testament to like safe sport. Isn't just a one and done thing. It's something that's continuous and it has to be ongoing. So having somebody there full-time that's dealing with this day in and day out um, and making sure that every single person goes through the educational program, whether you're a staff member, a player, whether you're on the field or off, everybody goes through it and everybody is mandated to be a part of it. And I think that that's really important moving forward. And the Whitecaps have, have made a statement that they want to be a leader in this country and safe sport. Um, as I said, you know, they, they recognize what has happened in the club in the past and they want to, to right the wrongs and do better and be better. And um, I'm really proud of the steps that they've taken. Yeah. I've, I mean, we spoke about this on the show and I, whenever I've spoken about it, I'm always conscious that it's a guy saying it and I don't want it to come across as dismissive, but it's like at some point you need to draw that line and then move on to the next chapter and take those advances. And I think that's exactly what the Whitecaps have done. And now this is the time for, for a new Whitecaps professional team. When I first moved over here in 2007, the women's team was in full flow here, playing out at Swan Guard. They had the double headers with the men in the USL. And it's been such a long time that there's been a team like that for the the fans of, of women's soccer here in Vancouver to cheer on. Now, this past year, the first baby steps, League One BC with the, the elite girls team, they won the championship. And the talent that's coming through this club has just been fantastic. But watching the rise of that team and watching them win the, the championship this year and knowing what like Katie Collar has got in place there and what Emma's done, how enthusiastic has that made you for what the Whitecaps can be in women's soccer going forward? Yeah, I think it shows, number one, you know, the passion behind the scenes that um, this club has for women's sports, um, the investment that they want to continue to make to grow the women's game in this country, um, to be a leader in that space. You know, they've been one of the clubs that has invested in women's soccer for the longest in this country. Um, and I think for me, you know, when hard times come and when pain is there and when we make mistakes, um, shutting it down and canceling it, like to me, that can cause even more harm. For me, rebuild it, make it safer than ever before, put the proper systems in place and give young girls a chance to be in sport in a safe environment and to, to learn and grow about themselves. Everybody knows across the world the power that sport can have if it's done right. And that's something that I feel really passionate about is if we can do this right and we are doing it right, 
um, then we can create some incredible opportunities for young women in this country. Um, far too many girls drop out of sport, you know, in, in the ages of 10 to 14. Um, so the more that we can do to continue to create opportunities and inspire those girls to build confidence and believe in themselves and stay in sport, the more that they're going to grow not only as athletes, but as human beings. Yeah, we were chatting a little bit just before we started recording. I was telling you that I, I commentate at UBC and the amount of players that I've seen come through the Thunderbirds, come through all of, of youth sport really on the, the women's side, that that's the highest level that they ever end up playing because they've just not had those opportunities. So this new league... I know it's very much in the infancy and there's still a lot of meat to be put on the bone. There's a lot to, to get thrashed out with it. But where where do you see it starting off standard-wise? I know Diana's talked about wanting to have at least one national team player on each team, which immediately raises the, the quality of it. But in her call today, she talked about the, the number of, sort of young girls that's coming out of the college system which is not then maybe going to be quite at NWSL level to start with. Do, do you see it maybe being baby steps? Are people maybe thinking it's going to be able to compete right away with NWSL without really thinking that's going to take a couple of years to maybe build this up? I absolutely think that we can um, compete with NWSL from day one. Um, you know, if you look at Canadian players and the strength of the talent that we have in this country, we are right there. Um, if you look at the bulk of what makes up NWSL rosters, yeah, you've got national team players at the top, but then you've got this bulk of players that are not national team players. They are players that have come through the college system and they are making up that greater, um, you know, uh, group of the rosters. And those are the players that are getting opportunities that are proving themselves and that are then breaking into the national team. There's so many players on the U.S. national team that came strictly out of the NWSL. They've proved themselves. They were given an opportunity to play. We right now have over 100 players playing outside of Canada. We have 110 um, Canadian players playing professionally. That's a lot of players to be able to bring back home. And those are not all national team players. You know, you, you maybe take 25 of those um, that are consistently in and out with the national team. And then you've still got another 90, 100 um, players out there that are playing. Like that's bringing those players home, giving them that opportunity to be in Canada is huge. And then you've got, you know, the talent that we have. And the problem right now is our players coming out of um, college. Yes, they're good enough to be in a professional environment. The problem is, is that they're not taking up one of the three international spots that it takes to get into an NWSL team. It doesn't mean they're not good enough and they can't compete with those other players. It just means they're not, there's not enough international roster spots for them. So those players are good enough. They're not just not giving being given the chance to play. And that's what this is going to do. It's going to give those players a chance to play and a chance to prove that they are good enough and that we do have incredible depth in this country. In recent years, it's kind of felt in the world game at international level that the gaps certainly narrowed between Canada, US, the, the top countries in Europe and the rest of the world. They're, the rest of the world's getting better and better and that gap's getting closer. And you're seeing a lot of it because countries have their own domestic leagues, which is obviously what, what Canada's been lacking for. Now, you're going to get some people that's... I, like, I'll... I'll put my feelings out here right away. I think a domestic league is better than just one NWSL team. 
But you're going to get people that say, well, why not go for that one NWSL team first or have two NWSL teams and then build a league? What, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, my number one thought of, you know, one or two NWSL teams, first and foremost, who is that benefiting? Who who are you trying? What what are you trying to grow and develop? Are you trying to grow and develop the game in Canada? Well, that's not it. You're you're growing and developing. You know, you've got two cities that are able to support these players. And the only Canadians that are going to be able to play on those teams are the Canadians that are already playing in professional leagues, the Canadians that are on the national team. You're not benefiting them by adding more teams into a league that they're already in. Um, so if we want to really impact the game at a bigger level, we have to create that domestic league. Um, for some reason, you know, we think the option is to, to join the U.S. And, and to just join in because we've done that on all the men's sports sides. But nowhere else in the world does that happen. So why why do we have to put ourselves in that box and say that that's the only option here in Canada? For me to have both NWSL and a women's league, it'll completely destroy the ability to create a top tier women's league. It's no disrespect to the CPL, but they can only grow so much because of the MLS. The MLS is there and that's always going to take the top tier talent, which means CPL will only be able to, to go for kind of that second level. We don't want that for the women. We want to be able to bring our top tier talent home to Canada and create a league that can compete with, you know, the 80,000 fans that go to a Barcelona game or compete with the sellout stadiums in the NWSL at 20, between 20 and 25,000 that sell out. Like we can compete with that if we give ourselves the opportunity to be a top tier league. But the second we say, let's have NWSL and a second tier league. Well, now what are we trying to grow here and who are we really impacting? For me, we create a top tier league. We're then going to start developing top tier coaches, top tier referees, top tier GMs. Like the list goes on in terms of how much that grows the game at a top, top level. If I fast forward now two and a half years, it's opening day, the new league's starting. In your ideal world, what what is that league going to look like? We know they're wanting four East, four, four West teams ideally what what would you like what kind of stadium would you want to be playing in what kind of crowds would you be hoping you're going to be attracting yeah i think number one you know playing in stadiums that are packed um i think giving us the opportunity to fill stadiums um it doesn't mean we have to fill a sixty thousand seat stadium in our first game um but playing in smaller more intimate um stadiums that we can fill that can create amazing uh, events and experiences for people. That's what's going to make people want to come back and continue to support this. Um, you know, I expect a lot of attention around this, um, the the games to be visible and on TV. Um, I want people to be able to walk into a restaurant or walk into a bar and the game be on TV, not having to sit in front of a computer and stream it. Um, we have to make this available to everybody, coast to coast, um, whether you're remote, whether you're in a big city, it doesn't matter. We have to have it available so that everybody can tune in and pay attention and support these women. Um, and then, you know, I expect to see some really big rivalries starting to be created between teams and some fun East versus West um, rivalries created. And it's just a really exciting time to think about the potential of what it can be. Um, you know, I also expect to see a lot of people being able to buy some incredible merchandise. I know that's one of the biggest things here in Canada that fans are starving of. They want to buy jerseys, they want to buy scarves, they want to buy shirts with their favorite players' names on them. We're going to give them that and give them the opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've heard so many folk talk about not being able to get the women's players' jerseys. And then when I watched the National last night and Sink said she couldn't even get one of her own jerseys for her niece... 
It's like, that's just absolutely incredible to think that. I mean, it's all all very exciting and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this develops over the next couple of years. Just last couple of things just to ask you just about your own career, really. How much do you miss playing? Ooh, honestly, like I don't miss it at the top level at all. Um, I'm able to watch games and fully be invested as a fan and support and enjoy it. Um, I missed the game, so I do play in a women's league, um, but I'm playing as a forward now, so I get to like run around and try to <laughs> score goals. Um, oh, you'd be a bit of a ringer if they had you in goals, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't be can't be diving anymore. I'm too old for that. Um, but running around and like, now I get to, you know, score goals and have fun with that. Like that's, that brings me to a whole new, like childhood, I think love of the game again, um, brings back the smile on my face, the competitiveness in me being, being able to get stuck in tackles, um, that that's kind of, I think brought a whole new love and joy for the game again, back to me. And, um, at this age, but no, I'm, I'm like, I couldn't be more confident in my decision. And I really feel like I'm exactly where I you know, I'm supposed to be right now. I'm um, continuing to push this game forward and in a whole new way. When you look back to, to last year and uh, that gold medal game and I mean, how, how often do you go back and watch that shootout? And do you, do you still get the goosebumps every time you watch it? Yeah, I don't intentionally go back and watch it, but you'd be surprised the amount of times I've seen that shootout and, you know, wherever it pops up, it seems to always come up uh, at different times. But it it always gives me goosebumps. Um, just the emotion, the pride, the joy. Um, just I can still honestly put myself back on that line, like standing in front, waiting for those penalty shots. Um, I could still put myself in that position and feel everything to the to the core of me. Um, it was such an incredible moment personally. Um, for our team to be able to do it surrounded by people that you know I I care so deeply about, and um, to know we had so many you know, fans back home watching. Um, it's, yeah, it was a surreal moment. I, I think the smile that you had throughout that whole shootout is what's just going to stick in folks' mind as well. But how how did you just, how did you manage to even just smile at that moment and just not be like, just so overcome with, I don't know, other emotions, I guess? Yeah, I was totally, honestly, just in the moment. Like I was really so fully present. Um, I had this like beaming feeling of confidence um, in myself, in my team. Uh, I just had such a great feeling. And I just kept telling myself, like, look where you are, like soak in this moment. You're um, especially in the final, you know, like at worst, you're going home with a silver medal. Like you, you guys have made history. This is an amazing moment. Just enjoy it. Just relish it. And um, at the same time, I obviously know that, you know, the more that I give off confidence, that's maybe going to affect some players on the other team. Um, so maybe it was, you know, a little extra emotion at the time, but I really truly was just so in the moment and and just enjoying myself um, at, at that time. Fantastic. So what does the, the next few months look like for you? What, what's How's 2023 going to kick off? Yeah, well, I'm going to take, I think, a nice little Christmas break and have a little debrief after the past year. It's It's been a whirlwind, but uh, it's been incredible. Uh, and then, yeah, next year, I think it'll be like hit the ground running. Um, you know, for the league, of course, it's to get the other six ownership groups in place. Um, for me, continue to inspire, you know, other women to step up and and to, to be in, whether it's ownership roles, leadership roles. I think it's an incredible opportunity we have for women to be at the forefront of this. 
Um, and then, you know, with the Whitecaps, continuing to build out, you know, our strategy for building the best possible women's program that we can um, to be a leader in this country. And um, for me, you know, I really want to to create a, a women's team and brand that everybody can be proud of. Um, so I'm going to continue to work with the people in the club to build that out and, and really, um, yeah, I think reconnect and build trust again with with the community, with the alumni, with um with the fans, um, they're at the heart of this club and I want to continue to to grow with them. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I've wanted to do this for a couple of months and thank you so much for your time today because obviously I know you're very, very busy and you're going to be very busy going forward. But yeah, hopefully I'll maybe even see you out at some League One stuff next year as well. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much for having me. So great stuff there from Steph LeBay. So we'll unpack some of that and chat about this new Women's League, what we know so far. We'll be back with that after number 13 in our festive 15. Hi, I'm Stephanie LeBay and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched. Looking for a shooting star. I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? Stuck in a presence of mine With no one present my thoughts decline I chat to myself and write some rhymes Complain about life just to pass the time Oh my god, feeling broken a bit So if you exist can you explain some shit? Fuck this, looking like Earth's destruction So if generated this file's corrupted Stick on the VR online find I'm sitting at space bars A blind line from tapping up the bar Made return with caps locks and hashtag memories Yeah, control out delete to your whole team Can't escape the blue screen shouldn't unplug this machine Digital dream Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched Looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched Looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? <clears throat> Been on my mind a lot lately Debating whether it's love or tainted Wishing I could think straightly Got this liquor and a spliff sedated Thank the ones that stuck by my side daily Gonna make a change, fucking pay me Things can be such a juxtaposition Used to be depressed, now I got ambition Use my voice wise, hope it resonates when you listen Never looking back, intuition No think twice, lose your way Pay the price, play life like dice At the end of the day, it's your choice When the world's gone to shit Who's gonna quit, who stays fit If there's war, he's equipped I ain't ever losing it, only improving it Here to make history, won't let them ruin me No more misery when I'm gonna be missing me Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched Looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched 
looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? Hellier view, staring at the stars in the sky As I'm contemplating why it's so hard to die Sitting on the turf while the farmers thrive Rooted to the ground while the martyrs fly Gardeners fry, working and needing Fathers cry, suffering, bleeding Charmers lie, they done too much reading Now they're tripping out every two words they're speaking Mothers grieving, hold on the young as they're leaving Hoping their lungs are still breathing Nobody loves with good reason Who do you believe in? Show me above, I need Jesus But the pieces don't fit Don't know where my soul sits Don't know where my hope and my home is But you know what? Last night I was looking at the sky And I saw the whole globe glitch Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched Looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it what is existence for? Looking up at the sky and I swear it glitched Looking for a shooting star I know the mind plays tricks and I question it What is existence for? Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's number 13 in our festive 15 from Scotland. Edinburgh rapper Word, Glasgow rapper Mog, joined by Queen of Harps. That is their song released in August from the Childish Games album that was Shooting Star. And, of course, we're hoping to see a lot of stars shooting their way in the new Canadian Women's Football League that will be getting underway in 2025. Steve and Har joining me to chat about this league that was being announced and we'll unpack a little bit of what Steph LeBay had to say in the, the last part as well. And details, they're a little bit scant just now on the new league. All we really know is the plan is there's going to be eight teams, four in the east, four in the west. There will be a a DP-style structure tied to sponsorship that will have at least one Canadian national team player at each of the eight teams. Two of the teams have been announced so far, and they're both the western teams, Vancouver Whitecaps and Calgary Foothills. There, there's a lot more that we'll, we'll get into. There was the initial announcement on CBC's The National on Monday night. Diana Matheson and Christine Sinclair were on a, a call today kind of announcing some more details. I'll bring Har in first with this. This is obviously something that's long overdue. It's been very much needed in Canada. I think people were hoping that the 2015 World Cup was going to be the catalyst to this. It's taken a lot longer than folk wanted, 10 years, and it, it does feel that perhaps the players have just been fed up waiting for others to take the reins of this, so they've taken the reins themselves. Yeah, 
yeah, it's uh, it's about time that there's going to be a women's professional soccer league in Canada for Canada's best uh, players to play in. It's long overdue. We've been waiting for it, and we thought, you know, after hosting a World Cup in 2015, that would be kind of the catalyst to get it going and get something working in Canada, but it's just taken forever, and, you know, Canada soccer's not really gotten the job done, so it's taken players upon themselves with sponsorship and working with Project 8 Sports, uh, Diana Madison is, and to get everything going and getting it starting up with two teams, as you mentioned, Vancouver and Calgary. So it's very exciting news uh, for Canadians across the country, soccer fans, sports fans, to be able to have a league for uh, the young generation to come to be able to play at home in Canada on home soil and you know maybe not have the option to go play in the NWSL or Europe. You know These players can play at home in Canada in front of friends and family it's a great way to grow the league, to grow the sport, and to get that pipeline of players going into the national team, you know, past the Christine Sinclairs and the LeBays and who's on the team now and who's going to be coming up in the future. I mean, Steve, we, we had a, a chat amongst ourselves earlier today, and there's a lot of parallels that we can draw between this announcement and the launch of the CPL in terms that there's two teams already but a big advantage is they've got two massive sponsors on board right away. Oh, for sure. And the sponsorship is the hardest thing to get you know, whenever you're launching a new league. Like people, sponsors are not always sure of what they're to expect. Um, the fact that they got like an Air Canada, which is a, you know, a flight sponsorship to save money on the travel back and forth in Canada. Um, and you also also get your miles up and everything like that to get other stuff. Maybe buy some soccer balls with those miles. Um, and <laughs> And but the biggest thing is like the like the, the fact that you have that sponsorship is good. Um, you're talking about uh, parallels with CPL. CPL, I don't think had major sponsors uh, to when they announced it. I don't recall, I, but I do recall that they only announced two teams, um, with, and they were actually planning on playing the year later, and they mm-hmm. only announced two teams um, with like they were going to play like a mini tournament in 2018 or something like that, and then that got scrapped, and then they ended up debuting in 2019. So. In reality, we don't know what the background information is, like who they've talked to. They, I think Diana Matheson has mentioned that she's this has kind of been in the works for the last six months or so, like really gotten going. Um, she mentioned that on TSN. Um, and so she, like, we don't know what, who else she spoke to. Obviously, um, I think there was an interview, I think I posted it to you, where she talked about Greg Kerfoot, um, uh, like was an easy choice because he's been helping out the women's national team for years in and yep and w- behind the scenes and everything and so um my, my uh, understanding might... is he's put a million dollars deposit into this yeah and then people will question that because of all the scandal that happened before but um, again a lot of that stuff was like at the management level um we don't know how much greg kerfoot actually knew about it because he's pretty hands-off we've talked about that before on the on the team so um, if if Diana Matheson's happy with Greg Kerfoot, I have no problem with that at all. And it's uh, about right now they got the you know a fair the Calgary Foothills, whatever you want to say about them, but the Whitecaps are a solid like organization right now to be starting with. And it's just a matter of getting other teams in there, finding the ownership. She said she wants a diverse ownership, mm-hmm. uh, so she wants women involved and everything like that. So that's uh, a good thing. And 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 they they have models that they can follow they have the nwsl 
Um, the, the most recent version. Uh, obviously, the previous version, W League and stuff like that, they folded, but they have that. They have MLS, they, the CPL. You know, you know, I know they, they're people saying that they've frozen out the CPL teams or whatever, but we don't know how much they were interested in doing this. And those CPL teams have... Uh, stadiums that are looking for tenants, they don't like. Yeah, I mean, they're, the they're not a f- so, they're not frozen out necessarily. It's just they haven't no. committed yet. Yeah, exactly. So there might be an ownership from CPL that gets involved in there. Maybe there's one or two that are part of this. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I personally think that they're a little bit way more ahead. They might not have. Uh, they might have brought the CSA in a little late or something like that. Mm. Maybe that's the case, but but. Personally, if the CSA does not sanction this team, this league, if it, if every all the ducks in a row, they will look like big villains. And I don't see the CSA wanting to do that with all no. the negative press they've had over the years. No, I mean the, the league has to have the CSA inside if you're going to be they having have to. national team players on it. And the CSA, they've been a PR disaster recently. So it's like if they if they say no, no, we we want to go a different road. Because the thing is, the CPL have talked for a, a long time that they want to add a women's league. But that's the thing, Har. It's like, it's been talk. And this league, obviously hindered by COVID, has been losing money. So why would those owners that are already losing money be rushing to then invest in another league that might be losing or will be losing money in the early days as well? So to me, it makes a lot of sense that you're going to go with different ownership groups. Um, Diana revealed on the, the call this morning, Har, that... She's had early talks with TFC, MLSE, and CF Montreal. They're not that advanced, but just kind of exploratory talks. You would think they would be foolish not to to get involved. And they don't have to be in Toronto and Montreal. Like To me, it would make sense if Montreal have that team and get into somewhere like Quebec City, a market that's crying out for a professional soccer team and doesn't have a lot of other things going on there. But, I mean, you've got to look to get into big cities and, I mean, you've got to think Ottawa as well makes sense. And she also mentioned the Maritimes as a, a place that she'd love to see a team. Yeah, if, I think if the league's going to be truly coast-to-coast, you've got to have teams in maybe Victoria, definitely the Maritimes. I think the Maritimes would be a great spot to have a, a women's team there. In lots of young families, there's not a lot of professional sports teams over in the Maritimes. So Halifax would be great. Uh, as Steve mentioned, they've already got Air Canada on board in regards with flights. So that would be very helpful. I think definitely at least two teams in Ontario. I've heard Hamilton mentioned maybe Ottawa, Toronto, the York area. So definitely some sites that they're looking at, they're interested in, they're talking. In terms of Quebec, perhaps Montreal, like you said, Quebec City would be fantastic so it's all about i think at this point it's really you know who's gonna back up the brinks truck who's gonna come in as sponsorship who's gonna take that next step to see what's happened with this league and say hey i want to be involved i want to get on board with the team in the city where i live and support women's soccer who's gonna do that who's gonna step up so i think that's really key we mentioned two teams already on board and they're looking to have the the six remaining teams announced in 2023. So I think that's a huge step. Kind of put a bit of pressure on themselves, announcing it now and then getting the six done next year. And then looking to get sanctioned by the CSA in uh, 2024, I believe May. So a lot of exciting times happening 
in women's soccer in our country and we'll see what happens next yeah i mean it's obviously exciting and we're very enthusiastic and we, we can't wait to cover this but we, we've also got to, to to look at some concerns that that i have with this as well and one of them steve is just what har said there they're going to spend the next six months looking for these other six ownership groups so there's nothing necessarily in place yet so i think the hope is that you're going to have these two teams that's committed and like the foothills have invested in women's soccer for a number of years now and they've had a really good thing going out in, in Calgary in, in the summer at a semi-pro stroke amateur le- level. So, I mean, having the Whitecaps name involved, I think, is big because it's, it's a big thing. So, and, and we don't. And the thing is, we don't know like where they're like the percentage of talks they've had with other groups. Yeah, uh, like, you, you have to groups... hope that it might be advanced for some of them because otherwise, yes. you, you're kind of throwing it out there. And hoping, and Har wants to just jump in here. I think it's a must that you have Toronto FC and Montreal Impact Club de Foot, whatever they're called now. I think it's important that you have both of those cities, those franchises, organizations involved. Those are big markets in Canada. They have a huge population. Cities are not markets. I'm, I'm going to call it markets if I feel like it, okay? That's just a little end joke with her and me. You got the training facilities, you got the pitch, you got resources, you got money, you've got coaching staff and accommodations and everything. I think it would be a real negative if Montreal and Toronto's MLS teams are not involved. You've got Vancouver. I think that's fantastic. I think for this to really take off, you have to have those two teams involved and i know i've reported previously about the nwsl coming to those cities toronto montreal and the interest hasn't always been there so with what's happened this week in the announcement hopefully we'll kind of get these organizations more excited more involved to be a part of this and want to join up so uh, we'll uh, see what happens but i think you got to have those markets i think one is good i think i don't think you need both and my only concern is with Montreal is uh, Joey Saputo running into the dressing room after a game. Maybe he can send <laughs> his wife instead, um, like he did. You can't with do the, that. You can't do that. Well, he did. He tried to get in with with the main club back in July. I don't know. You obviously. Yeah, we were talking about that in part one. Har, he. I, I don't know if you saw that story. He tried to get in to the locker room after one of the games, and Wilfred Nancy wouldn't let him in. And that's the whole reason why Wilfred Nancy is no longer there. Mm. But oh, going over the, I, I think I do think I agree with you. I think you need one uh, like main team in the East. That would be ideal. Uh, but I don't think you need both. And I personally, I, I don't. I want them to have like you talk about the CPL. I think it'll make it as, as both leagues will be stronger if they don't have cross ownership. I think it actually makes yeah, it I stronger agree. because you don't have to. You're not your funds are being diluted between two teams. I and. And I think they mentioned that it's like eight to ten million right now uh, for like a, a, to get in. Um, and and if you look at the w- NWSL teams, and and uh, Stephanie mentioned this in their thing that she wants to be as strong as those teams. Um, those teams now, I think their value is about thirty-five to forty million mm. per team. So it's a good for team for people that see that you know long-term growth. Like you're going to lose money in the first two three years, and most owners yeah. know that they can use it as a write-off for their other businesses. But see, um, that, that's one of my concerns for attracting these six other owners. And 
there's a lot of talk that Canada might go into a recession. Other parts of the world, like the UK, already We've been are going into a recession for years now. I don't know. I'm waiting for it to happen. But it's like, why are these people suddenly going to come forward now when they've had the chance to come forward before? That is a genuine worry of mine. In, in saying that, like, you just have to spend a couple of minutes talking to Diana Matheson, and it's impossible not to be excited by this. She's She's the ideal person to lead this because she's just so enthusiastic about it. But yeah. a lot of what she said, and it might just be the wording that she chose on the call that Harmy were on today, it was a lot of, I think we can do that, or I hope we can do that, as opposed to like firm, I know we can do this, I know we can do that based on research or based on talks that they've had. Now that, again, it might just be the wording that she used in, to particularly say this, but I, I do wonder how much meat is on the bones of this, how much still has to get fleshed out, and if they've maybe launched it, hoping that that's then going to push people into yeah. it without necessarily them having the people that's going to, to go into like, it. Like, if they're at, like, 25% of what they need to be, I think that's a mistake, then, if they announced it now. But if they're at like fifty percent of what they think they they're at, like to get the, the yeah, like if they know they've got full, if they're yeah. halfway there and they just need to you know cross some t's or dot some i's and stuff like that, and maybe they do need to bring in like like blindly find two more owners or something. Maybe they're you know close to four other owners, but they're not fully committed and they're close to other sponsorships. I, I then I think it's fine because. Um, I think you were mentioning why would you announce it during the World Cup? It's actually, you know, I think you mentioned it with Stephanie or whatever. It's gotten a lot of attraction with people. Yes, yeah, so I, I was worried it wasn't going to, and I would have waited until maybe tomorrow because then yeah. you've got two days with no World Cup action. But a lot of the press are going to run this probably tonight and tomorrow, so there is no World Cup yeah. game. So I guess yeah. this has been a, a, a decent time for it. So... One of the things I posed to, to Steph there was why this league as opposed to going for one or maybe two NWSL teams. So what she said to that, Har, was who benefits from NWSL? Just a couple of small clubs and a couple of owners, whereas this league benefits everyone in Canada and it benefits all the players a lot more than just having one or two clubs and it's right. I mean, we, we've we talked about this before and I spoke about it there with Steph. Like, the college scene here, so many girls come out of youth sports and they've nowhere to go. That's the highest level they've ever, they're ever going to play because they've not had those opportunities. So many others have had to go overseas. And a, a great example is Danielle Steer at UBC. She's graduating from UBC. She's going to go over now and look overseas because... There's nothing here for her, and there's still not going to be anything till till 2025. And I I do wonder how competitive this league will be right off the bat. But Steph feels from day one they can compete with NWSL. Now you've obviously covered a lot of NWSL. You've watched that league grow. They feel they can bring these players that's in America into Canada. They feel they can bring these players that's overseas back into Canada. Do you think that is realistic? I think short term, it could be a bit of a challenge, but it all depends on how the league grows, how it develops, what kind of level of soccer it is. 
Uh, definitely funding what kind of salaries these players are getting. If you're playing in the States and are you going to want to go up and play in Saskatoon, in Winnipeg in the summer with the Mosquitoes? Maybe if that's not a problem for you, if you want to come up to Canada. But I think this is going to be a league maybe more so with Canadians and players from other countries, maybe in Europe, uh, maybe in Asia, maybe Australia, New Zealand, maybe they'll try and attract those players because a lot of the American players, they want to play at home in the, in the mm -hmm. NWSL and you can't blame them for wanting to play yeah. at home. I think having a Canadian league really benefits Canada and Canadian players. And as Steph was saying, you know, you can set your own your rules. You know, it benefits Canadians. It's for Canadians. So and I not everyone wants everyone... to go and move overseas either. That's the thing. It's like exactly, some folk yeah. want some to stay like in their to own country. Some people to home and now yeah. they have that option. Uh, I was reading that there's going to be up to seven international slots. So it'll be, I guess, a mixture of Canadians and internationals and yeah it's fantastic i think it's it's really going to be huge if i could go back to a point earlier we were talking about maybe maybe why the announcement now you've got two teams and we need six more i'm wondering if they're going to try and ramp up or gear up towards the women's world cup in july obviously the momentum is going to be mm. huge there's going to be a lot of coverage so I'm wondering if they're looking to bank on bringing in ownership or new investors around that July, August time, you know, when the World Cup's starting, then afterwards when the momentum's really hit its peak. Maybe that's a target for, for announcing some of these uh, further their teams that are going to be in this league. That's a good idea. Yeah, I, they need schmoozers. They need yeah. schmoozers to, 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 to grease up. The one person that I think, obviously she's with, she's got a job right now, but Karina LeBlanc, if they if she was available, uh, I know I mean, people said Diane Matheson is like you know gung ho about this. Karina LeBlanc would put people basically sell it. Like she's a very good seller, and I think if she if they could get even though she's got that other job, if they, she could bring her bring her in as a consultant or something like that to schmooze people, then I think that would be beneficial. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the first person I thought about to be that you know the face of the thing would be her, uh, but the. For me, like I agree, the 2023 World Cup is huge. Like that's going to be the the really the selling point, and Canada needs to do well. It can uh, not only attract, um, uh, you know, at that time they could talk to a lot of players, and and, and around the world. I agree that if like if I think you know how they said one Canadian national team member, I think at, they at least possibly at least two. One. Yeah, at yeah, least at least two. I think they could be actually doing two. I think there's enough players they could bring two. I I think you can bring two very solid international players from around the world. And then the other players could be young developing players. And I think you mentioned all those other places. I think Central America would be a massive place. And you could be players from Africa and everything like that. Like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, like there's, a, I don't think there's very many women's leagues in Africa. Or, or No, I but I, I would more want to see Canadian players. No, no, what, I, what I'm saying is to fill out the roster. I'm thinking the majority, like the seven international slots mm -hmm. would be coming, players coming there. I think the majority would be Canadian players, obviously. And uh, for me, the, I, th I think there's a lot of potential growth where you can make it by bringing those other players from other countries, you can actually develop. Because we talked about it before. If you have very good players from other places, it helps the develop the Canadian players because they're going to want to play at that level. It yeah. kind of pushes them. Because the you know, in practices and everything, if you're playing against good players, you're going to eventually get big, pick up those skills and you will get better overall. 
yeah, that's why clubs bring their academy guys up to train with the first team and, and stuff yeah. like that for that reason. I mean, we've talked before that in Canada, media coverage-wise, they, they just care about the Olympics and the World Cup when it comes yeah. to the women's game. And then after that, there's no coverage for it. So I, yeah, I don't gonna, know. That's, that's going to be the biggest stumbling block. That's been with CPL. But the problem yeah. with CPL is that you have to subscribe in order to watch them. And that's why I'm glad that Stephanie said that, that she wants the stuff on TV yeah. so people can watch it. Even if it, if it means a loss, even if it means a loss to the league, it's it like MLS, uh, how many people are going to watch it going oh, forward? Oh, I, I know. If it's well, on this, Apple. This I don't Apple know if Apple deal is going to lose people. But I mean, that's the thing, Hart. This league has to be visible. That's what Steph wants to see. And you have to feel that CBC is going to get involved. They've had this exclusive. They've done all this stuff with it. I'd be very surprised if they don't, since they've been the the team that's had the World Cup and the Olympics as well. Yeah, that's massive. I agree. Streaming, I mean, people don't want to play for another streaming service. They already pay for enough of those. Ideally, uh, a TSN or a Sportsnet would be fantastic because they already do sports. They got coverage of sports, different sports. But again, is is putting that, if it's putting a new women's soccer league on a TSN or a Sportsnet, is that going to drive ratings is that going to be worthwhile for those networks to bump whatever else they have yeah probably not and to it's, be it's honest summertime summertime i guess so you know they got they got blue jays what else have they got they don't have mls anymore so maybe there's some some time for that but again cbc would be terrific everybody has the cbc they know the cbc so i think if they can get some kind of deal with cbc even if you're just doing a couple of games a week, I think that would be key because you need to have visibility. You need to see the sport so people can engage, people can get interested. People can see that and say, hey, I'd like to go to a game or I'd like to be able to buy a scarf or a kit of this particular player. They don't want to be fumbling around to buy it, to get a stream going. So no. I think it has to be on TV somewhere. And even if, they have to pay, even if they have to pay the network to show the games, I would still do that. And and the thing is, is with uh, the this you're talking about TSN. If 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 their premier eight sports can become the production side of it, uh, where the TSN doesn't have to do very much, like spend very much money in the production side of it. Listen, TSN in the summertime they have what lumberjack competitions and and all this other stuff. Why can't they put something on that's a legitimate sport? Um, I I like they replay stuff and all this stuff. So even if a game's not live. Or maybe streaming, and then they could put it live the next day or something like that. And and talk about people paying for ads. They got two people that could potentially pay for ads: CIBC and Air Canada already. So you got people there. So I I, I see. I agree with you. You got most of the games could be on Gem, their streaming service, CBC's, and then you got TSN's got a streaming service. And then, but if you can get one main game, the big game of the week, and that's what I said, CPL should, and even a highlight game. show as well. A highlight show, exactly. Like, and so you're going to have that. And I think that, um, and and, and t- uh, companies like TSN and stuff like that, they want to be diversified so that they're not showing just all male sports. So they've already showing NWSL on on TSN, if I'm not mistaken, right? They had a few games. What was it, Sportsnet? Sportsnet, I think, had it. Somebody had it. I can't remember who, but somebody had it. So the zone they, shows they, the Champions League on the women's side as well. Yeah. So if, if they can have that, then I'm sure they can put it there. It's just a matter of TSN doesn't want to pay for production, and they don't want to pay for people to film it. So if Premier Eight or they're called Premier Eight, right? If I'm not. Is it Premier Eight Sports? 
the company that was with Dynamite. Project, Project Eight. Project, Project Eight. Eight. I keep calling it Premier Eight. Uh, Project Eight Sports. If they can handle the production where they put the cameras, the people in charge of that, that could be helpful and get the. That'd be huge. That. That'd be cutting costs for the network. So that'd be great. Yeah. Another thing that Steph mentioned there is, ideally for her, these games are played in more intimate stadiums, and like we've seen this in the CPL, you look around. The Valor games, the Ottawa games, Hamilton. Hamilton, they're just played in the massive CFL arenas and it hits the atmosphere. So she wants an electric atmosphere in a more intimate venue. They're targeting an average attendance of 3,700. The CPL had targeted 4,200, so it's not a, a, a far off that. I think that's realistic to get. And it, I mean, for Whitecaps, you've got to think for something like that, they're going to be looking at Swan Guard. I mean, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, you could do Langley too. Um, if that new Surrey Stadium ever comes about, that could be a possibility yeah. as well. I mean, they, so yeah, a, I, mean, they, a... I don't think, though, that the Langley CPL team would want a Whitecaps team in, considering Again, they're going to be... If they're empty, sta- empty dates and they can fill those dates in, they will definitely, uh, I think they will allow that as long as they're willing to pay rent for it. Mm. People people do not want to keep empty stadiums and they want to fill the dates. I mean, Har, would you want to see these women's games as a standalone experience or would you think a double header with, say, WFC2 might be something that that would work? I think for starters, it should be standalone because you want to build that sport you want to get people out to that introduce them to a new women's soccer league so if you have an fc2 game maybe you might confuse them or you might get uh some people i can come for the first game or i can't come for the second game maybe it's a long commitment if it's a long sunny day so i think starting out standalone and, and then kind of build off that and see how the atmosphere is how they get fans in and what kind of setting that could be so i think standalone for starters yeah, there are not a lot of people out there, Michael, that want to spend six, seven hours a day watching football. So I don't think... Well, what's wrong like... with them? <laughs> no, but I, I agree. Like, they has to be standalone. You can't be tied in with another league, no matter what. Hmm. It's just because initially when I came over here, they had the double headers with Whitecaps and USL. But to be fair, the women's games weren't very well supported. So I, I agree with her. I think if you want to grow the fan base, it does need to be standalone. And you want to target target the girls' clubs and stuff as well. Oh, and I, down I think, the road, of course, you know, yeah. down the road you could do it. Something you can't like play that. games on Sundays though, because that's I think the in, well in BC at least because that's when a lot of the girls play. That's the days oh. that they play. So don't schedule games on Sunday. Oh, see, that's sure that's Friday interesting then because there's going to be so much competition. You've got a new CPL team. You've got Whitecaps too. You've got League One over the summer. You've got the Whitecaps and MLS. It's a lot of teams I, looking I, for support. I totally, I, I totally understand that, but I think that if you uh, uh, find out what their schedules are, fix it right, um, you know, play the home games when they're away, you can easily get that stuff going where people will, will support. And the people that support the women's team might not be the same people that go to the CPL team. You might be, yeah, there will definitely, definitely be be different things, and it'll be a, a lot more family friendly, I, th- I think, uh, as well. I'd like to know who owns the rights to Swan Guard because there's going to be a lot of competing times for pitch. Who's going to have first priority in yeah. 2025? Another interesting fact. I, I know right now TSS have first pick of the dates. So I don't know how long their thing lasts, but I, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Um, last thing 
then on this, I'll just get your thoughts on this from both of you. So, what needs to happen now, Har, in the next short-term period to keep the focus on, on this league? What what would you like to see happening in the, the next six months to year? I think maybe maybe a new announcement every month, maybe something exciting. Oh, we have a team, we have a league name. That would be fantastic if we could know the, the league name or uh, we're going to play such and such games or what's your schedule going to be? Is it going to be uh, a home home and away for each for each team in each city? Um, you know, are we going to play afternoon games? Are we going to play night games? What kind of stadiums are we talking? You know, what kind of salary structure? Or maybe have a player on the national team come out and say, hey, I, I can't wait. This is exciting. I would love to come back home and play in Canada. Maybe just well, small. A, a lot of them have been tweeting their support to today. Well, that's, one, I, that's one thing, though. That's one thing. Yeah. But Janine Becky mentioned on TSN that she'd be willing to come back to Canada to play. She said that herself. So she said that live on the air. So uh, there are players that are good. Um, uh, for That'd for be great. me, for me, actually, uh, it would be it would it would have been genius if this is the case. Like when Har mentioned that they announced more teams and everything, if they already have those teams and they're just doing it so they could spread it out until the World Cup, that would be a genius yeah. move. Where they started with two and then oh, we got another team in February and then March another team and then all the way up to a thing and then you get the eight teams by the World Cup. That would be like that. That would have been smart if they did that. If they already have, but I'm not sure if that's the case. We don't know that. Uh, but if they are able to announce, uh, maybe, uh, maybe another three to four teams by the World Cup, I think that's ideal. Yeah, I. It's such a long way away, though, as well. That's the thing. It's like 2025 just seems an but age away. It's, but it's smart to do. It take your time. Do not like. Oh like, no! Yeah, you shouldn't in, rush this. Yeah. You've only got you one chance to launch this right. Yeah, and that that's like they've got to get it right, and like it, the states, they rushed it from what I like, what I feel like, just looking from afar, they rushed it where they were the like, teams def- uh, going defunct, and and then they they had to risk like I think one the whole league went out or something like that. Hard could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but it they seem like they rushed it, and so I I I like the idea that they announced it now, and they have two and a half years to build until they get that league fully formed. I My only hope in all of this is, well, apart from the fact that they find six other investment groups, is that the CPL then don't still want to proceed with a rival women's league because I think that would just be disastrous and it would just get messy. They have to work together. And if the CPL's noses are put out of joint with this, they've had a chance to do this. They've been slow yeah. in it. And the players have had to be proactive. This is so long overdue that it's like somebody had to take the bull by the horns and it's just and, great and, to see that this and, group has. And if you're a current player or future player, a, a Canadian player, or you have contact with Canadian players, who are you going to support? A former player, oh, yeah. the Diane Matheson, or are you going to support the CSA, who's kind of messed up over the last few years? I'm going to support Diana Matheson. Yeah. So let us know your thoughts. How excited are you by this news? Are you going to go and watch the games? Where would you like to see them broadcast? Get in touch on Twitter at AFT in Canada, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. So that's it for the football chat, but it's not quite it for the show because we've still got time to bring you this episode's wavelength. For anyone that's new to the show, 
Wavelength is our section where we play a song all about football by a band, an artist, could be by a, a football team or a, a player. Whole variety of topics in this genre. Last month and this month we've gone for a theme which is World Cup songs and can't believe I'm doing this. I'm playing an England song, two shows running. This though is I think one of the best World Cup songs that have ever been released. It's from 1990, New Order. It's called World in Motion. And I thought everyone knew this song, but from talking to some people over here, they they aren't familiar with it, which is kind of goes back to what I was saying, that the, the football song, and especially the World Cup songs, maybe don't resonate the same way outside of the the UK where we've kind of just grown up with it and we expect football songs and this year's been a little bit out of the norm where there maybe hasn't been as many but this is one of the all-time classics New Order and the England team from 1990 World in Motion Well, some of the crowd are on the pitch Well, some of the crowd are on the pitch They think it's all over
So that was New Order, the England football team from 1990, World in Motion. You can find it on a number of different New Order albums. I would recommend Retro, which is a kind of compilation of their greatest hits. It's a great song, even if it is about England. But that is it for this episode of the show. Just before we go though, guys, Har, Steve, let us know where they can find you online and any final thoughts. Har, let's start with you. Uh, you can find my stuff on the internet wherever you have a Wi-Fi connection. Thank you very much for having me on, Michael. Good to see you again, Steve. I would very much like to give a special uh, a shout-out to Jake Nerwinski's dad for helping us with that scoop a few weeks ago. Very much uh, appreciative. So if you have time, maybe go check out uh, his blog on all things township in New Jersey. I'm sure we have a... A Venn diagram of people interested in that, and it might be a small Venn diagram, but there we go. Uh, Everything's got a Venn diagram. Yeah, Steve, what's your final thoughts? So a couple things. Uh, You can always find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. You know, you, uh, Michael, have in the past uh, uh, announced uh, uh, quite a few of your, you know, childhood memories of people passing away. I would like to do that this week. Bob McGrath from Sesame Street. Um, somebody like I watched when I was a kid. Um, I watched him as well when I was a kid. Yeah, and so like uh, like he passed away at the age of ninety. He was doing didn't do the Sesame Street for like I think in the last ten years, but he was always doing appearances over the like just the, since the last couple of years or something he stopped. Um, so uh, long, long life, uh, and, and best wishes to his family. Another shout out on a, a younger guy, uh, Sam Atakupe. I forgot to mention in the World Cup. Glad to see him get uh, quote, quote unquote the goal, uh, the second goal for Canada. It was an even own goal. Okay. It was, even though I personally wish they would give scrap that just for the, that one game, that rule. Uh, but uh, the only goal uh, that Morocco has given up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it, I'm, I, I'm a good shout out to him. I thought he should have. I didn't mention it before. I thought he should have played way more than he did in, in the in the World Cup. But um, yeah, that's about it for me. 
I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada, youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada for all our VMSL videos and maybe we'll get some other videos up. We might be doing a, another pulled off at half time episode as well, our quiz show. So that should be coming back soon. Um, I've been covering rugby this week, which I was up for three days doing the Canadian Rugby Championship up at UBC. So that was a, a nice little change of pace. Learned a few interesting things in that. Wasn't commentating on it. I was just doing the the recaps and and stuff and the scoring for the for the, the Thunderbirds. But big congratulations to UBC that won their fourth rugby championship in five years and a lot of good talent up there. But that is it for this episode of the show. Zach should be back on the next show, regaling us of his tales from Qatar. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Enjoy the World Cup quarterfinals. Mon the Caps and Ali La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.